welcome to episode 73 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. I'm JR. Today, we're going to uh, have our, our big year-end spectacular. You know, it's early January. It's been over a month since we recorded. And we've got it just, we're all backed up, you know. It's like when you, you're alone and you haven't jerked off for a while. And you're just all backed up. And you just let one go, you know. Build up and then... Or like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Cold Mountain. Yeah, exactly. If they yes. was to cut me apart, they'd see birds lying in me like twigs. Right. <laughs> That's the gross this, this is a strong start. Strong start. <laughs> yeah, the best start. Anyway, uh, so we're going to talk our uh, year-end lists, top whatever. Uh, we're just, just saying, I, I was saying it's a weak year, because mm. I have three and a half star movies on my list. JR saying it's a great year, and I didn't see enough stuff, so, well, we'll see. We're also going to have our uh, decade lists, end of the decade, which I'll, I'll be honest, I was thinking about this the other day, I feel like there's a lot of people who are uh, not considering this the end of the decade, and right. are going to have lists next year for 2011 through 2020. Mm. No that's, good? That's like, that's Christian shit, that's stupid. <laughs> Christian <laughs> Jesus wasn't born in year zero, guys. Oh, right. I get right. it. But mm. I feel like every other website, a lot of websites and podcasts did their uh, decade list this year. So, yeah. Mm. Well, you know, I just I, haven't I wanna, seen I quite those as, 20s by themselves. Yeah, I just haven't seen quite as much as I, I thought I would see. But I, I agree with you. When I thought about it more, I was like, well, this is the teens. You wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't include 2020 in the teens list. Mm. So it makes sense. But, um,. Yeah, so we'll be getting to our best of the decade lists, uh, and uh, we do have a feature review, which is uh, Kevin's pick, Tequila Sunrise, written and directed by Robert Town. We'll be talking about that. Uh, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what the show is today. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's a lot. strap Big. in, buds. Yeah. Um, get, a, get a beverage, Yeah. Get but not a, a big one, because you'll have to... Leave your seat. I don't know, and bring your phone with you. Yeah, yeah nobody you can, can get as big a beverage as you, you can't want. listen to this podcast and drink at the same time. It's uh, it's too complicated. Mm. All right, well, uh, right. let's just we're, today we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to jump right into the review right off the bat because there are no trailers worth a damn, and uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we're going to get mm. burn through this review very quickly. Six minutes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's I, not a, there's not a lot to talk about. I have really. nothing to say about this movie. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so this is uh, the movie is Kevin's pick. It mm. was Tequila Sunrise from 1988, directed by Robert Town, written by Robert Town, starring uh, just the trifecta of Hollywood power at the time: Mel Gibson, Kurt Russell, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. All kind of. Uh, I wish I could say they're all washed up, but really, Kurt Russell's been having a comeback in recent years. Yeah. But, um... I mean, he had a Christmas movie on Netflix. You can't get bigger than that. Well, he was his, in, he was in a couple of t- Tarantino movies, and then, yeah. uh... Yeah, like, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year. So. Yeah, yeah. Which I finally saw. Yeah. So, um... Kevin, why, why did you do this to us? Well, I saw it... I saw it at the library. I was like... Hey, Mel Gibson, Kurt Russell, and then I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, written, written and directed by Robert Town." 
I mean, it's it's got to be worth something. So you had not seen this before. I had not seen this before. Okay, so yeah. that's that's uh, that's that makes it a little better, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I I would I would agree with you. Like when I saw it, when I I have this on Laserdisc, and when I saw the cover, I was like, eh, this could be okay. And uh, you know, you got Mel Gibson, and he's in right in the middle of the Lethal Weapons there, right between mm-hmm. one and two, and. Kurt Russell, be, you know the young Kurt Russell, that brash, arrogant prick guy, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then you, Michelle Pfeiffer is whatever, but um, Raul Julia, you can't go wrong with Raul Julia. No. I always love Raul Julia. Honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say it. He's the best part of this movie for me. Well, I mean, he's the only good part of this movie. Let's be <laughs> yeah. honest. Uh, but uh, um, uh, but I mean, uh, and uh, but but speaking of Robert Town, you know how you say I see Robert Town's name, and I I would I would have agreed with you. Before I watch this, but then yeah. I think about then I think about what like what why is Robert Town so revered and it's all just Chinatown, right? I mean, everybody just talks about Chinatown, 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 and he's really written a lot of stinkers, including yeah. this one. And I mean, I loved Last Detail, and he wrote that as well. And he, I mean, he's a good writer, I guess, but like yeah. I just don't understand why he's so revered in the uh, the writing and Hollywood community. Yeah, I mean, because like he's. Yeah, I really, I agree. I think it's mainly a Chinatown thing because, like, you look at his track record and, like, like if you compare, say, him to, like, William Goldman, who has mm-hmm. been responsible for, you know, all the President's Men, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Marathon Man, Princess Bride, um, wrote yeah, the screenplay for Misery. You like, would think, like, like, that guy would a be huge amount of more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but for, but for some reason, I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're, we're in the wrong circles, but uh, I just think the the reach of Chinatown is mm. uh, greater than I don't I don't really and I don't get it because I love Chinatown, but like I just don't understand why it feels like it's it's what is it, like the best written movie of all time. I mean, I I don't know about that. I mean, it's it's very good. <laughs> there are better scripts, I would imagine. I, mean, I haven't read the script, but I mean, going off of the the film itself, yeah, and especially to hear like. Um... Polanski did the the ending to Chinatown because I forget which producer it's probably Robert Evans because it's always Robert Evans in the 70s sure but apparently nobody was happy with the kind of quote-unquote fairy tale ending that Chinatown originally had and then they gave it the that heart that hard-nosed um, ending that it has in it now so I don't I don't know. He just wrote like I mean he wrote like a lot of shit like I mean like Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. Wow. He wrote. Uh, I mean he I guess he did uncredited rewrites on these other things like Frantic mm. and I, I never saw Frantic. I've been meaning to, but Tough Guys Don't Dance, which is a Norman Mailer movie, and mm. uh, Days of Thunder, The Two Jakes. But I guess that's just his characters. It's right. Uh, he he wrote Mission Impossible, which is very. I like Mission Impossible. I think the script is strong. But Mission Impossible Two. Well, <laughs> I mean, the guy wrote Mission Impossible Two. Well, did, you, you did left he, out. Did he write Mission Impossible? A couple like, of big ones, like such as what Shampoo, Bonnie and Clyde, oh, yeah. and Shampoo. Yeah. But oh, again, right. again, uncredited on Bonnie and Clyde. So I mean, yeah. how much did he actually write it? You know. And that's the question I have about Mission Impossible. I like Shampoo a lot. Like, I haven't the, seen Shampoo. In the De Palma documentary, I think he was saying that, like, Town wrote a screenplay, and then they went with someone else, and then they went back and forth. Right. So I don't know whose script they actually went with. My point is that it's like, 
I, I, you know, yeah, those are, he's been involved with some big movies, but it's like, mm. I don't, all you ever hear about is Chinatown and I don't understand. Mm. I just don't get like, it's like, um, who's the guy who wrote social network and uh Moneyball? Oh, Alan Sorkin. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> it's like, you think he would be like a bigger deal even, you know, like mm. just the shit that he's written. And I mean, you do hear a lot about him, but I'm just, it just feels yes. like Robert town is like worshiped. And I, I don't really don't understand why. Yeah, yeah, I think people people recognize that Sorkin wrote the best television show of all time. I think <laughs> the newsroom. <laughs> the newsroom. I, have, I haven't seen the newsroom. I've but... seen that opening scene from episode one about twenty five times on you on uh, Facebook, where he talks about how America is not the best country or whatever. Oh, <laughs> it's so goofy. I tried to watch. Show. I think I watched the first episode. And it was really brutal. But um. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I hear. I also tried to watch West Wing, and it, it's not. I didn't like it either. So, anyway, uh, besides that, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I just, uh, I really, I hated this movie, Kevin. <laughs> I cannot stand it. I watched half an hour of it last night, and I turned it off, and there was a fear in me because I was like, I have to turn this back on tomorrow and finish it. Yeah, and I don't want to. Yeah, this was this was not one of my better choices. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, because. How about that score too, eh? Oh God, it was right, well. Yeah. <laughs> Score's not good. It's Score's atrocious. <laughs> it's atrocious. I, uh, I did not hate this movie. Oh, you loved it. I didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't love it. No, here I comes the. Can I? Can I, can like I guess it. though? Can I guess your take on it? Sure. <laughs> uh, Neo noir. So you love it because you have all this. You've seen all these noir films, and this is playing on all these noir films. And it's really, really cool and interesting. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. This is this is a that was a good guess, but no, that's actually uh, oh, not. Good. I just uh, good. you just like I it. I enjoyed how ridiculous Kurt Russell was. Uh, and Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell and Mel Gibson. I don't know if we've even said it yet. They're like they're best friends on different sides of the law, which is you know like, yeah. where have we seen this before? <laughs> oh, there's a girl in the middle that they both like. She yeah. likes both of them. Oh, this is this is new. Um, but there's just I, I found. Russell to be ridiculous and such a dick and a slime ball, uh, and he's the cop. And then Gibson is like this just super, super likable dude. Mm. Uh, and it's like the most normal I've ever seen Gibson act, which maybe is just like boring. Yeah. But he's just like yeah. is he's like a square and he like looks normal. And I was just I was I was into that. Uh you know, I'm I'm really into boring. And uh There were some so, like shots of uh of his body though, that where they were just definitely, definitely trying to like work up the sex appeal of his, <laughs> oh, you know, oh my his God, abs that's, and everything. That's a sex scene. <laughs> Do you think after, after the sex scene, when Raul Julia's, uh, Carlos drug dealer comes into the house and is like, you were banging for four hours. Do you think Mel Gibson like was like, Hey, put that in there. <laughs> Make sure do it's that four in. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that shit's was true. It, it was, I do that. <laughs> might've even been four and a half. I don't even remember. Um, yeah, but also yeah, four hours. Yeah, <laughs> I when when Carlos Raul Julia finally showed up at the house and they started talking, I loved that the two drug dealers were the most likable people in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and I liked. I I, 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 I did appreciate. I appreciated how they were actually like buddies. Like they seemed like they yeah. were good friends. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like there was no like fear of oh man, Raul Julia is a, a big time drug dealer going to kill him. It was just like completely harmless. Let's go play <laughs> <Yeah>. some ping pong. <laughs> Which I mean, I I think that's interesting, but it's also like really goofy. I, I I just never I don't understand the, like I don't believe 
Mel Gibson as a as any kind of a drug dealer at all. Like at no, at no point in the film am I like, oh yeah, this guy definitely has dealt yeah. large quantities I mean, of cocaine I, before. The way it is played, I do not believe it either. And that's so so that was you know that was mostly the end of my like list. Yeah, uh, right. it's like. I do enjoy their scenes together and I think those two are likable, but then my problems with this movie are and besides the fact that it is just kind of like too long, a little boring. It, uh, there's a lot of like, what the, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Like what just, what just happened? Like at JT Walsh, who is clearly obsessed with catching, uh, both Carlos and, uh, Mel Gibson's character, even though Mel Gibson's character is clearly not drug dealing (laughs) anymore. Like, like, how does he show up at the end? Like, he should not know where Mel Gibson and Raul Julia are. There's, like, all these times where people just, like, show up and you don't understand why. And it's never clear what people's fucking plans are. Like, the, like Carlos shows up uh, as, you know, playing a Mexican federale that's working with J.T. Walsh's character. And he's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spy on you, which means I'm supposed to be spying on myself. And at no point... Do we know what the fuck the game plan is there? Like you're just spying on yourself, so how are you going to tell? Like, what are you going to do with the FBI when you have to be like, "Oh, we saw Carlos. Now yeah, I, I can th- identify him as myself." I thought it was it really weird when, when he was in the house the first time when when Mel is in a towel, and uh, you hear them they hear them radio to uh, to JT Walsh, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, uh, such and such with like Carlos's name, like his alias or whatever," and they're like, yeah. "He's in the house now." And I was like, "Why would like what?" Like, how's yeah. that going to work? And then, I mean, I, it, I sh- it makes no sense. And I, I knew immediately. I was like, I was like, well, Raul Julia's in the movie. He doesn't show up for like an hour. But I was like, he's got to be Carlos because they keep talking about Carlos nonstop. And oh, then when he shows as- up and he's not Carlos, I was like, well, he's probably still Carlos, right? <laughs> right. I mean, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my notes, my notes for the. Uh, why are the cops in the Mexican federales that are probably actually Carlos eating at Michelle Pfeiffer's wine cellar? Yeah, right. Like, right. That's another one. Yeah, it was like a mafia scene. Like they were all like sitting. Like and even even when they pan over to Kurt Russell and he like straightens his tie up and everything, he's like they, suddenly they're in a mafia film. Yeah, it was really bizarre. You know what this movie reminded me a lot about? Actually, Falcon Fresca? and the Snowman. Really? Like, yeah. Like there are a lot of like interesting elements. Yeah. In this thing. That like seem like they should go interesting places, but then they kind of don't. It's missing any kind of a performance that's any like near on the on the level of energy that Sean Penn has in that movie, right? Though, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, Raul, nothing. Raul Julia go, gets the closest to yeah. that, but yeah. not even not even saying that Sean Penn's performance is good, but it's like, <laughs> it's, it's just missing the energy of the yeah yeah, you know? and it never gets. Ex- I feel like there's no there's nothing exciting about that. Even when even when like. Michelle Pfeiffer's life is being threatened on the boat. You don't even mm. you don't even get any kind of like I'm not worried about her at all. Nah, I don't. Not really. no, I'm never well, worried. I'm never worried because Raul Julia is likable. Exactly. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I really thought he was going to shoot. Uh, whenever they were in the they were in the room together, and they brought Michelle Pfeiffer upstairs. It was him and uh, Arliss Howard, the who turns out to be the an informant. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they bring Michelle Pfeiffer up there, and he gets mad at them. I was like, he's so going to shoot Arliss Howard in the face in front of her, like, and it's just going to be like, oh wow, Raul Julia is actually a badass. But then it just like cuts to this next scene. Then talk about confusing. Suddenly, Arliss Howard is dead on the ground, and Kurt Russell thinks the cops shot him, and JT Walsh is saying that the other guy shot him. And I was like, and we didn't see any of it, so we don't know what's going on. It was just. Conf- but, but then Carlos. But then Kurt Russell's like. <laughs> 
uh, what I, Escalante is Carlos. And I'm yeah. like, where did that come from? <laughs> right. yeah, how, like, how, how did, did you know, know that? <laughs> you were confused a second ago. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Was, man, a lot yeah. of logical leaps in this. Yeah. It, like, And apparently this like whole like aircraft carrier full of cocaine that is apparently useless now because it's all been soaked in gasoline. Yeah. I... I mean, my my Blu-ray of this. I didn't understand uh, that either. Skipped, but but I I still don't think like if if it hadn't skipped, I don't know that I would have understood. I don't anymore. think there's anything to understand. Like it's like because they even they even bring it up there. Like why would he come here for half a million dollars? And I'm like I'm like well I'd like to hear an answer to that question. Like why did he come? And I guess I guess that the answer is that he's got. They they eventually reveal that Mel Gibson has all of his money in his boat. And that that's mm-hmm. why he's there. But like, I don't understand what, what, what's the half million dollars got to do with anything? What's the cocaine have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. Like, why would they need any kind of a, like, if it's a ruse, who are they trying to fool? Like they're trying to fool the cops into thinking they're doing a drug deal. Like, why would you do that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, why don't you just say, Hey, we're not doing anything wrong. We're just coming to get my stuff. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's really bizarre. I don't, uh, yeah, I just, ugh. It was really boring, and it's apparently it's Oscar nominated for cinematography. Conrad Hall did the cinematography for it, which mm. he's a you know like okay. he's like a legend. But I mean the uh. the film doesn't look particularly good. I, don't I know. thought it looked good. Huh? I wish that I had it on it at my television. Oh really? You think it looked? But, yeah. Good? Oh. I mean, I don't I, think know. I don't think it looked bad, but there was like some shots like that shot where. This ridiculous scene where Mel Gibson and Kurt Russell meet on the swing set. Yeah, I mean, that that, that looks good, but it's it's overridden by the fact that it's retarded, you know? Like, why are they meeting on a (laughs) playground to talk? Oh, man. They are not not good friends. (laughs) Yeah, I don't buy them Um, as friends. I I feel like they never met each other before, you know, 10 seconds before the scene started. And, you know, a big part of this movie that we haven't talked about, like, this this friendship is supposed to be at the center of the movie. Not yeah. Mel Gibson and Raul Julia's, but Mel Gibson and Kurt Russell's. Right. But it's like, you know, Mel Gibson is being honest with Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is lying to Mel Gibson and everyone the entire time. But, like, for some reason, you know, J.T. Walsh and Kurt Russell are attempting to use Mel Gibson to get to Carlos. But it's never clear why that is necessary, except that just Carlos likes hanging out with Mel Gibson. Yeah. Yeah, like was, Carlos's whole reason to come up is just I just want to see my buddy and play some ping pong. Yeah, yeah. When are we gonna have a chance to do this again? Kurt Russell. does give us. Kurt Russell does give us the best scene. Uh, at least I thought it was the best scene. And Which it was what? when he walked into the office and threw a tray of coffee. Oh yeah, onto <laughs> JT Walsh, and then kept his job. I like. I liked his. Uh, the line there, I forget what it is exactly. Something like, uh, I don't plant weeds so I can pull them up. I don't plant weeds, yeah. weeds yeah. in my backyard so I can pull them up. Like, that's a good line. I mean, yeah, there's some yeah. there's some good lines in it. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, overall, I think it's just like, it's just really fucking messy, man. Mm. Really messy. But, uh. I had like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is messy. Yeah. I At the end, but, so at the end, when, um. When. He kills Raul Julia, but then JT Wall shows up and shoots Raul Julia's dead body in the face <laughs> yeah. uh, and then starts trying to shoot Mel Gibson, who's like, I'm giving myself up. Don't shoot me. And he keeps shooting him anyway. Yeah. It starts a fire, blows up the boat. JT Walsh is too dumb to, I don't know, do anything besides just keep shooting. But at the end of that, 
Bill Gibson's in the beat on the beach in the water the next day with and, clothes uh, on. Kurt Russell brings Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. to meet Mel Gibson. Is like is Mel Gibson in hiding? Is Kurt Russell facilitating a meetup before he takes Mel Gibson to jail? What the fuck is going on? Or before Kurt There's Russell the goes to jail says, for murder because he shot J.T. Walsh in the back? Yeah, you'd think the forensics... Well, I mean, everything got burned up in the fire. <laughs> I guess. <but laughs> yeah. You also see... Uh, you hear like the, the lifeguard saying, there's a strong riptide, please stay out of the water. And it immediately cuts to lots of people in the water, <laughs> which I, I enjoyed. And he's talking to the guy on the boat who was... Uh, one of the Coast Guard people or lifeguard people, and he's like, like as if he's he's like, how's our boy? And he's like, he's good. And it's like, I yeah. Don't, I, and I was like, I was like, well, where is he? And then yeah, there's just like they cut, and he's like midway out in the in the surf. Like what is? It? And he's got a like a he's got all his clothes on. I was like, has he just been hanging out in the water all night? I mm. I think maybe he has. It's and that uh, the lifeguard guy's just been with him, keeping an eye on him because twenty minutes ago he was like. McKissick's a friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your friend's a drug peddler. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. I don't care. I'm a lifeguard. I'm a Coast Guard. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. I usually, you know, like when a movie's good, I don't, um, I don't sit there and think about plot holes. But this one just had a bunch of them. Yeah. Mm. And I, I really was just sitting on my computer late last night, like, what the fuck is going on? Just what the fuck? And that's that's my experience with this movie. I had a lot of, I was like in the back of my mind questioning those holes, but then in the front of my mind, I was like so enraged and bored. I just wanted <laughs> to turn it off that I was like, I don't even care. I didn't even take notes on it. I was just like, I just want this fucking thing to be over. I just thought, I didn't make a note on this. I just thought about this though. Why is... Arliss, uh, what the cousin, Mel yeah. Gibson's cousin. Like, why is he just the shittiest informant? Like, why does he tell the cops about a child's birthday party? Like, you mm. know it's for the child. It's going to be at the house you live in because like, yeah. they live together. He's really clumsy, too, about suggesting that Mel get back into the business. Like, the whole scene when he's he goes out to him when he's sitting on the boat and he's like, hey, man, you know anybody with connections? Because there's half a million dollars coming in. This is like... And then he's like, he's like saying, he's like, I thought we were going to talk about this. Went, I know, man, but it's half a million dollars. Just, he's being really pushy and obnoxious. Man. And I don't buy any of it. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's a mess. Yeah. Anyway, it is a mess. Um, further thoughts on this thing or are we ready for ratings? Because I'm, I'm ready to rate it. Let's see. The music is horrible. It's the like music it's, is horrible. At the beginning of it, I thought I was like, "Well, this uh, this score is on par with Lethal Weapon." And I honestly even checked in the first twenty minutes. I checked to see who the composer was. Cause I thought it might be Mark Kamen, but it's not. It's some other guy, Daniel Caton or something. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it gets really like absurdly, you know, yeah. uh, pornographic almost. You know, with all the. Yeah, the, the it does. Vibraphone and, yeah, and saxophone all the, the and sax- all that shit. Yeah, the saxophone stuff was really, really bad. Especially in the sex scene, it was just like yeah. when that scene started. I was like, "This is seriously like softcore pornography, except without any nudity." Yeah, <laughs> all shot in silhouette and like these weird shots of them rising out of the water and slow. Yeah, rising like seven <laughs> feet out of yeah. the water. I was, I, was like, I was like, "This is like the most shallow jacuzzi ever." He's standing, <laughs> it's like ankle deep. In yeah. The <laughs> It was really bizarre. And apparently I read that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer had a body double for it. So apparently that's not even her in, wow. the, in the nude scenes when you huh. see her nude silhouette. 
it also, according to Wikipedia, shut down production for a couple of days because uh, the pool was not uh, cleaned properly and was not chlorinated. So Mel Gibson <laughs> and the other person got body rashes. Nice. Oh, gosh. Nice. They can't shoot those up close rippling ab shots yeah, with a body it's, rash. Yeah, it's sexy stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, oh, and Matt LeBlanc is in one of the commercials that they're watching on TV. Is he? Yeah. Huh. Like a real, I did not notice that. It's a Heinz commercial, apparently. Oh. I, like, I saw him, but then I also read about it. Like, it's, it, it is him. And uh, mm. it's like a legit commercial that he was in back in 88. Okay. And then also there's a weird kind of lethal weapon connection where he Mel walks into a room and uh, his son is watching Looney Tunes on the TV. Mm, yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, Mert, or Riggs is always watching Looney Tunes, making references to it. This movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> it, was, one, it was pretty yeah, bad. Let's get, it, let's get out of this. Give it a one-star rating. I'm going to be slightly more generous. I'm going to go two and a half. Mm. I'm also going two and a half. Well, you guys are wrong. Um, let's talk. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's uh, Tequila Sunrise. Let's talk about, never talk about that again. Let's talk about, um, what, best of the decade or best of the year? I feel like we should build up to best of the decade, right? All right. Sure. Doesn't that make more sense? Because what if be- some of our best of the year stuff is on the best of the decade list and then we ruin the best of the year list? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so anyway, best of the year, uh, 2019. Who wants to begin? I guess we should go in uh, like a centrifugal, uh, you know, clockwise. Yeah. Who wants to work, start? Work our ways in. Yeah. Word. I'll start. Good. My uh, my number ten film of the year, you know, I had to. I had so many things that could go here, uh, but starting with the souvenir, which I talked about on this show, liked a lot. Great, great kind of domestic, young people domestic drama. Joanna Hogg. This go, is go a movie it. that I uh, had downloaded, and then they actually added it to Prime last week. And I uh, watched the first uh, 10 minutes of it or so really late at night a few weeks ago and was enjoying it, but I was like, I got to go to bed. And I just never got back around to watching it. It's one of the ones I I missed out on watching. I was watching other things that I thought were more certain to be on my list. Yeah. Honor Honor Swinburne and Tom Burke are are incredible in it. So, yeah. Mm. And are they actors? Or like, are they? I, I don't know who Joanna. Hall, yes. I hear, I hear a lot of things. I just don't know if they're like non-actors. I never heard of them. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Well, Tom, Honor, Tom Honor's... Burke, you you know? Oh, I do. Um, yeah, he was in, he was in an episode of Seinfeld. He played Susan's brother, and he was in Deadwood for a couple of episodes. Susan had a brother. Yeah. I don't remember that. John Cheever, Dad. You and John. Oh, Cheever? oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, and he was also uh, Gosling's brother in Only God Forgives. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 like he's one of hair those lip. guys who he's like hair lip Yeah, yeah, movie. like you you don't like think the, of his name but like yeah. he's been like like you know He wants to fuck him. a 13 year old. I think he did. In the, and he killed well, her. Well, he's got that line of being like I want to fuck a 13 year old. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh Honor Swinburne is Tilda Swinton's daughter. Mm. Oh, okay. So getting her uh, nepotism going. That's good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And Tilda Swinton is in the movie and she's this is Either her second or third movie with Joanna Hogg. Joanna oh, Hogg's movies are good. I made it to the part where she is in it, like where they introduce her character, and that's where I stopped. And I realized, like, oh, that's still his one. 
right. Who's next? Uh, clockwise would be Kevin. Let's see. So, 2019 films, I watched a total of 11 movies that oh, were released Jesus. in okay. 2019. So, I'm oh, going yeah, guess... to do the best I can here. Actually, oh, can we can we count up then? I, w- I watched 27. JR, how many did you watch? Like 1,000? Every one of them? 88. 88. <laughs> I th- I thought I like twenty seven's pretty good. Like that's that's a good that's a good number. Eighty eight's insane. That's wow. really uh it's really that's mean. It's mean. So should we should we do top fives instead? Uh would... we can. I mean Yeah, I mean that would like if, if you, you want if, if you, you want to burn yeah. through the your your last ones to the five and yeah, then we'll, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, if y'all want to do that, and then I'll chime in. Okay. Well, what's your uh, what's your? Well, I'll go. I'll ten, well, I'll just yeah. We'll 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 both go to five, and then we'll start the actual roundtable discussion. Cool. Okay. So right. my, my number ten is Monos, which I just watched yesterday. Um, and I was really wanting to like this a lot more than I did. I liked it, and it was it was very good. It's very well made. It looks great. It's a, a Colombian film by Alejandro Landis. Or Lons, I don't know how you say his name, and um, it's like about these child soldiers who uh, have this American hostage in the mountains, and it's just like incredibly beautiful. Like all I could think of thinking was they should really go to these mountains in this. Apparently, it's a national reserve in Colombia, and they should film uh, like a uh, like a fantasy film or something, you know, with like knights and shit, because it's just like insane. Like they're all they're like walking on hills, and there's just nothing but clouds behind them. And like you could see the tops of the clouds because they're so high up. It's really, it's really interesting. But um, I don't know. It felt a little aimless uh, overall. But and there's a lot of uh, comparisons in the marketing to Apocalypse Now for some reason, mm. which I don't really understand at all. Outside of there, it's about the, it's about like military people. But mm. it gets into like some survivalist stuff that's kind of fun in the middle and towards the end and. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it, so that's my number ten. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, my number nine is Her Smell, another movie I talked about on here. Uh, the latest one from Alex Ross Perry, starring Elizabeth Moss, is a you know, like a punk rock pop punk star who's uh, you know going through some shit. Mm. It's uh, it yeah. Go listen to that episode. I have no idea what episode that is. Never mind. Don't go listen to that episode. But uh, it's probably like a couple. It's good. Only in the recent, the most, the recent five episodes or so, right? You listen to the last five episodes, and you'll probably <laughs> hear his review of her mm-hmm. smell. Yeah, that's another one that I, uh, I think again they've added it to Prime now, and I just have mm-hmm. not not got around to watching it. Um, my uh, number nine is. Somewhere, I just lost my list. There it is. Uh, Marriage Story, uh, the Noah Baumbach Netflix movie about a divorce between two hipsters, um, you know, which I liked, but again, was just kind of let down by. I mean, I, I gave it a four and I en- I enjoyed it at four stars worth, but I thought it was going to like really blow me away and I just found it to be really uh written just like really written like you could tell they were delivering lines and that always kind of bothers mm-hmm. me and it's like in Bombbox films that is the case like in i liked myrowitz stories a lot more and they, that feels written too but this is so much more less a comedy and more like a real uh 
situation, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, depressing and dark at times and uplifting at other times. And it's just, I don't know, felt a little disingenuous to me, but mm. I did enjoy it. So it is my number nine of this incredibly weak year. Jure. <laughs> uh, my number eight was, uh, or is shadow, which is also on Netflix. It's, uh, Zhang Yimao's latest. He did a, you know, hero house of flying daggers, a bunch of other things. Um, it is just visually stunning and has some of the coolest action sequences I've seen in a long time. It's, it's just really fucking cool. Awesome. My number eight is light of my life, which I just watched this morning. Um, which I realize I gave a lower rating than marriage story, but I think I like it better. Uh, just, I think it's just a, I don't know more. It's what it is, is it's Casey Affleck's, uh, film, uh, that he directed. And it's about this, like, it's essentially the road. I mean, it's the exact same story as the road. Oh, it's even, even like borrows, uh, (laughs) very specific dramatic beats and flashbacks from the road, but it's about the, the virus only affects women. So there are no women in the world and he's got his daughter who looks, you know, is like 11. So she passes as a boy and she's immune to the disease and it's about they're like trying to survive. But it's what's interesting about it is that it's less about, you know, the logistics of of, uh, surviving in a post-apocalyptic world as it is about like him trying to be a good father to her and trying to protect her. But not just from like, you know, the crazy people who want to, you know, would want to take her and. I don't even know what, you know, sex slavery or something or breeding or something. But uh, not even that, but it's just like just him trying to like bring her upright and trying to, you know, make her into a good person. And I don't know. It's really his performance is quite good and the writing is very solid and the direction is very solid. And uh, he did all three. So it's uh, I really appreciated it and I liked it quite a bit. Mm. It's uh, very slow, very slow, but that doesn't bother me. There is a the opening scene is twelve minutes long, and it's literally just him telling her a bedtime story that he's making up as he goes along. Wow! And it is it is trying like it's not, oh. it, it's definitely like it reminds me of um, Fata Morgana at the beginning of Fata Morgana by Herzog. There's like a shot of uh, a runway in the distance and planes coming into the runway, and just one after the other planes coming. In. It's like fifteen minutes or something of these planes coming in, and I remember him talking about how it's like the it's to weed out the riffraff like get the people who aren't interested in this kind of thing out of oh, this you know? okay. <laughs> stop watching because you're not going <laughs> to like the rest of it but uh it reminded me of that because it really sets the pace for the whole thing eight number eight light of my life all right seven uh knives out mm. which uh is just a really fun ensemble sort of play on the agatha christie mystery fair type deal mm-hmm. um it's like yeah i'm not gonna argue that uh <laughs> daniel craig's accent is like good or anything but uh and i also don't really want to talk about it much because it's a really fun movie to go into without knowing what happens oh i know everything that happens god damn it <laughs> i'll never see it though because i don't give a fuck <laughs> i hate murder mystery shit like this it all happens like a mansion and the uh. oh god i can't stand it. it's just like the whole agatha christie thing just drives me nuts i can't stand it but that's just me so it's a it's a weird take i do not understand this take it's but... just, i just i'm i don't know man i can't explain it but like the whole 
I don't I don't even know what what movies to think about, but like it just reminds me of the board game Clue. I'm just like it's just it's completely uninteresting. Well, who who did it? There's like ten people and they all have a motive. And ooh, who got, who did? You got to figure it out. And it's just and we're all stuck in the same spot. It's just so like it feels very like. I love procedural. I love Zodiac, you know, like him trying to figure out who the murderer is. But there, he's not stuck in a room with six people and one of them is the murderer, right? Mm. You know what I mean? He's like going out and doing stuff and it's more interesting that way. Like in this one, it's like it's like a Sherlock Holmes-ish thing or something where there's, I'm going to d- deduce who the murderer is mm. based on these clues that are in this area and we're not going to leave this room and it's just goofy. I can't say. Well, <laughs> in Knives Out, they they do leave. It does oh, not I, all take I, place. I, oh, in the yeah, I, I know, I know, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> and the Agatha Christie thing is, you know, she, she was good at putting them in locations where staying there made sense. Like mm. murder, murder on the Orient Express, they're on a train. The train doesn't stop. They're in the mountains. Right. Uh, so they all have to stay on the train. No, I mean, it makes, I'm not arguing mm. that doesn't make sense. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't gotcha. like it. Mm. It just, it just doesn't appeal to me. I don't know how to, how else to say it, but. I'm not, you know, trying to try to be open-minded. And I mean, I would watch Murder on the Orient Express, the Sidney Lumet film, because Sidney Lumet directed it. But I wouldn't probably never give a chance to uh, the Kenneth Branagh take on that. You shouldn't. And again, I know know how it ends. So (laughs) I know who the killer is. Gotcha. And that's all I'll say. Uh, Number (laughs) seven, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I don't understand the hate for these this this movie and these these last three movies. I didn't love the Last Jedi, but I mean, I just don't get. It's like they're talking about how they're retconning everything, and it's like the whole movie, the whole franchise is retconned. I mean, from day one, like you think George Lucas knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father and that <laughs> Luke was Leia's brother and all this shit. I mean, that's not that, he invented that all this not, shit as he went. It's the there are a few times where the movie like purposefully comment on the last one which is just dumb Such, to me what do you mean this movie yeah what uh, what what points like when they make fun of holdo doing the light speed like crash and do another into the like the first order fleet they like literally like bring it up to make fun of it and say that it that could never work again that feels like a comment on the previous movie I don't because it feels remember, like I don't remember that, but I mean, I, JJ I Abrams. You, I just... did, well, and then there's also like the purposefully, purposely sidelining Rose Tico. Yeah, at the very beginning. Yeah, uh, felt like a very pointed decision. It was extremely lame. I agree with that. I mean, that's just like, but again, that's not my problem with this movie. I mean, well, I don't have that problem either because I don't really give a fuck about Rose Tico. But I mean, I don't, I don't have anything against her. I'm not one of these, you know incels online who just hates Asian women and they think shouldn't be in the mill movie for some reason. <laughs> but it's like, uh, yeah, I just, I don't understand. It's the movie. I felt, I found the movie entertaining. I found the movie emotionally affecting, if not manipulative, but, uh, and I, I really enjoyed some of the, uh, set piece kind of stuff. Like, um, like the, like the way they treat the force in this, how, when they're talking through the force, they're suddenly in each other's locations and then they can actually, take items from each other. I like that shit. I think that's like when he snapped that, that was, necklace away from her and then he's like, scan this shit. And I was like, that's good. Like, that's a really uh, interesting way to, for him to I find like that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't, and I, I hear people complaining about that. Like it's getting out of hand, you know, it's just like, that's really interesting though. They have this weird yeah. connection where they can actually move shit through the force. That's yeah. cool. 
Yeah, and like when, like he's on the planet and she's on the ship, and like they they smash the thing that's holding the Vader helmet. Like, yeah. So that's where you are. Oh yeah, he sees it yeah, like fall on like, the ground. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, that's great. I love that shit. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely problems with the film. It's not perfect or anything, but I mean, I think it's as for me, it's as good as Force Awakens. Maybe not. Maybe not quite. I mean, just because you're missing uh, Harrison Ford being in the entire film. But I mean, which he, I think he makes Force Awakens. But um. I think that you know, but Harrison Ford does come back. Spoilers, because <laughs> every, everyone fucking comes back. We're gonna have people turning this podcast off left and right. <laughs> I thought that scene was. I felt okay. Well, I mean, I'll just say it. I cried during that scene, and I, I'm the only one I know who has cried during that scene. <laughs> Nobody else seems to give a fuck about that scene, but I I thought it was very good when uh, when he essentially turns Kylo. I mean, I was like, this is great. Like I, yeah. I, this is what I want to see. I want to see Kylo turn good and be Ben solo again. Yeah. And when he, you know, rushes in at the end of, to, to help save and she transfers the lightsaber to his hand and he kills all the Knights of Ren. It's killer, man. It's good stuff. Yeah. I didn't, I, I think the ending could have been a lot stronger. The way that they take out the emperor is a little weak, but you know, yeah. whatever. You could take out the emperor any way you want to, you know. You can write literally anything. Yeah. So how about the uh, how about the scene with the serpent, where it was like uh, I was playing Monkey Island or Uncharted, and I had to find the clues <laughs> for how do I get out of the puzzle dungeon? Oh, do I stay away from the evil serpent? No, I go touch the evil serpent, and he moves out of the way, unblocking the hole, for, so I can get out. Well, I was like, you have to yourself. have that scene. Otherwise, you don't know that she can heal wounds with her force power, mm. yeah, which comes I know. into play later. <laughs> yeah. I probably didn't have to have the snake move out of the way and let me out of the video game dungeon. That's just good screenwriting, John. You know, they oh, get sure. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. wait. We got to get these guys out of this cave. That's right. How are we going to do it? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, no, you have... know, it's whatever. Oh, God. I, I also... kill Chewie two seconds later. Oh, okay. I hated Chewie that. That's, the, that's my least favorite thing. Yeah, because when they killed Chewie, I was like, "This is great." If they sticked with killing Chewie, oh yeah, this would be one of the best movies I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, yeah, they they can't you know they can't kill off one of the the big characters so un- unceremoniously. But he's mm. not. That's the thing. If you're going to kill off one of the characters that way, Chewie is the one to do it because he's gotten he's never had a line in the films. You know, you right. don't you don't you you're not familiar. You're familiar with him as as a. An entity, but you don't know his character really. He's just like a big goofy hairball who hangs out with uh, Han Solo. Mm. You know, you don't know what kind of yeah. person this is. Kill him. Who cares? Who gives a fire? Else is dead. I, I agree. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All, everyone, all his, everyone, all his and are... no one is dead. Right. Well, you know, everyone else is. Uh, all the other characters have been killed, regardless of whether they come back or not. <laughs> I also finish. Right. I also finished Mandalorian season one. Oh yeah, me too. I also finished that this morning. I didn't mm. want to talk about it though because I made fun of you for watching it. Oh, <laughs> and then I watched it. Well, I didn't like it. If that helps, uh, I felt like the last. I really hated the last episode. Actually, it was just really corny and uh, like the whole. I like the idea that they're stuck in that tavern and everything, and I thought that was a really interesting setup. And then in the the final episode just how they he goes from oh i hate droids i hate this ig unit to the ig unit sprays some shit on my head and now i'm in love with the ig unit i'm gonna cry when it dies <laughs> it's just the stupidest it's just such a jump and then but the ig unit blew itself up for like 
eight dudes. They could have taken those eight dudes. I know, right? So easily. They've we've, been we've murdering guys like constantly. I know, right? <laughs> constantly. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then the whole thing at the end, like, uh, like my buddy was like, oh, there's this huge reveal at the end. And he like, the, the, I guess the reveal is that, uh, Gustavo Fring from Breaking Bad like cuts open his thing with a black saber or whatever. Right, I was like, right. well, what I, is I read about this is this is the kind of shit that you wouldn't know unless you've seen like every is it well from the animated animated series? thing. Yeah. I read all the comics. I'm like, I'm not doing yeah. that. I read that. I read that. And I was like, I was like, I don't. Am I supposed to know what this means? And then I read about. It and I was like, this is retarded. Like, what what 11 year old knows what this shit is? Like, I I don't fucking <laughs> who who is this in depth with their their Star well, they Wars had that, lore? They had that stupid shit in the movie too. Where it's like we're just supposed to like they t- talk about this quest that Luke went on to find Exegol or whatever. Like, and then like Exegol in general, like all this shit that they just like bring up and don't care to explain to us is all apparently continuity shit that's been. That's in all that's, cartoons. That's canon. I'm like, you don't know. Fuck, fuck you guys. <laughs> not watching the fucking cartoons. No, you need to. You gotta catch up. You know, what, uh, watch Rebels, watch uh, Clone Wars. <laughs> you know, the other day I was remembering a line from Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. There's a scene where Austin is about to go back in time to, you know, get his mojo and everything. And um, Michael York, like they're talking and Austin Powers like, but if I go back and do this and then blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, I've gone cross-eyed. Mm-hmm. And then and then Basil says, I suggest you don't worry about this sort of thing and just enjoy yourself. That goes for you all, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. They look at the camera. Yeah, like, that's that's something I'm trying to remember more now. Sure. Like, well, I mean, obviously... Like, I, at this point, I, I expect holes. I expect things not to be explained. I expect... Star Wars yeah. is not like you know. I blame Nolan again because <laughs> you, you get the 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 stupid Batman trilogy that he made, and everybody suddenly thinks that like you know, what should be popcorn blockbuster movies for children are supposed to be like high art cinema, and they're just fucking aren't. Like they're just well, goofy movies. Like relax. Well, I think like yeah. I think part of it too is like there's a generation who grew up on the popcorn stuff and then, you know, they saw like I don't know a Herzog movie or a Kubrick movie or I don't know, Inception or something and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm geeky. This is what I expect from movies now." Yeah. And then they retroactively go back and be and they're like, "Oh, this was stupid. This doesn't make sense." Like I mean, it's the internet too. It's like everybody yeah, yeah, has yeah. to have an opinion about everything. Yeah. You know, I have to have so, my take about this movie. And yeah, and like, like in Inception, the stuff, like how they get into each other's dreams, is never fully explained. You, just, they just have machines. There's some machines, and you know that them. there are chemical compounds that are yeah. that are they, involved. They devote they devote a lot of lines to explaining it. Just those explanations don't really do anything they don't for the viewer because they don't make sense. Exactly because you don't because okay. there is no machine. Uh, but in my reality. so my <laughs> issue with that in rise of skywalker like i'm okay with things not making sense my problem is in this movie every like new thing that they added that didn't make sense was like meant to tie back into the original trilogy so like everything is connected to those old trilogies and that doesn't make any fucking sense to me we've got a new trilogy why for for new younger audiences why are we still connecting everything to the old dead stuff. And the reason I liked some it, like all the new shit in Last Jedi had no connection to the original trilogy. And that's why, that's why, you know, angry internet people probably hated it. But I just, I was like, oh, this is more interesting. 
Well, like, I mean, this but is that's a movie makes, that works on its own. It doesn't make sense to say that the the first six films are all about the Skywalkers. I mean, they are. They're about Anakin, and then they're about Luke. Well, so it's like wouldn't so it wouldn't make sense that the Hope, last three a should new be Hope becomes about the Skywalkers. Well, like, I agree. The whole thing is retconned. I like I said, the whole thing. No, George Lucas had no fucking clue before he wrote you know part two with Kasdan where it was going. But now that when he did figure it out, it's like the first three are definitely about Luke. And then the prequels are about Anakin. And then the, so wouldn't it make sense that the, the last three should be about, you know, also some ver some person who is, and I think that's where they fucked yeah, up. Is that Kylo. They didn't, right. Well, it could be about Kylo, but I mean, it's not really, I mean, the films aren't about Kylo. He's the villain. Right. So, I mean, sorry, they don't focus on him. They focus on, on uh Rin, right. Or Ray, Ray. Ray yeah, sorry. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and then like their decision to bring back the emperor, I think makes a lot of sense. Like it's a, yeah, that makes sense. Cause he's been in all the films all like he's been, it makes sense to say he's been pulling the strings all the time. But the problem, the problem it's is just that so inelegantly done. I agree. The problem is that they don't, they don't talk about that until this film. And so it's like, there's been no like, you know, foreshadowing of his return. You don't ever think about, well, maybe the emperor's involved. You think they it's Snoke him. or whatever. And yeah, it's very clumsy, but that's not, I, I don't think that that's the dead speak. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I I like the crawl, but well, that's not worth talking about. But well, the the crawl is just the way they use that to introduce the emperor is just not. Great. No, I agree. I mean, I agree with that, but it's clumsy. But it's uh, that's just uh, the lack of planning. I don't blame this movie for that. I blame the entire like Disney in general, for, and, and JJ and uh, Kennedy and all Ryan of Johnson. them. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean. Well, less and, less on, Ryan Johnson because he's not involved with the planning of the trilogy. I mean, he he did one movie, you know, and they gave yeah, him and they and they said do like they they said do whatever so you they want. They didn't have like a they didn't have like a rule book or anything. Exactly, just mm. let him do what he wants. And that's a problem. They should have they should have had their shit mapped out from the beginning. They should have planned it out and said, look, this is where the three. They should have done it like Avatar and just shot the whole like all three of together like back to back or something, you know. And they could still let Ryan Johnson direct and even let him write or whatever, but just say, hey, look, this is the story that we want. I don't know. It's just it, the, the you know when you when you start out and then the second film and you say yeah let's just give this guy carte blanche to do whatever he wants and then he does it and then half the people love it and half the people hate it mm. and it's like what are you supposed to do? I mean, you, Disney is a conglomerate; they want to please everybody, right? <laughs> so it's like half the people hating it doesn't work for them. Well, I wonder how different this movie would have been if everybody if everybody liked Last Jedi because I'm you know. Oh, they wouldn't have I made think, yeah the, exa- the whole movie would be different, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely wouldn't have but an I, emperor. Yeah, I, I've, I heard someone say this on another podcast. It's like the last Jedi <laughs> did a better job of setting up like some future Star Wars properties outside of the Skywalker's than it did anything for the Skywalker saga. Mm. And I agree with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You know, too. it's like we've got these other people using the Force. We've got some new settings. Um, so whatever. Uh, but also, fuck J.J. Uh, Abrams and Star Wars for ruining our list. Where where are we? Uh, number six for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we don't need to relitigate this film, but uh, my number six is Midsommar. Yeah, Midsommar so. is a piece of shit. I'm just kidding. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah we, we can move on. Yeah. Okay, well, my number six is uh, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, which shows you how weak this year is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I I did really enjoy it, but I mean, it's essentially a TV movie, so pretty ridiculous that I have to include it on the list of the best films of the year. (laughs) So uh, I guess starting with uh, number five now, and we'll start the roundtable discussion, yes? Cool. Yeah. 
Do, do. So, Let's start with Kevin, actually, since he hasn't yeah. talked yet. Like, Kevin's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, may, may sound like a bit of a reach, but my number five is the movie Klaus from Netflix. It's an animated movie what? about kind of. The I hear. Origins. I hear good things. Isn't it like hand animated? It's hand animated, but they ran it through like <laughs> special like software to like improve the images and like do do a lot do a lot of like cool things. Um, is this the is this the movie that Kurt Russell's in? No, oh, okay. uh, that one where where he's actually like playing some like rando version of Santa Claus, like some cool hip version of Santa okay. Claus, I I guess. Um All right. Jonathan saw that movie for whatever reason, but you know, he's not here, so Ever. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so so it's about it's about this guy played by Jason Schwartzman and like he's dispatched to this cold remote region of the north to man their post office. And along the way, he starts encountering all, all these kids who need things, and their parents are pretty terrible. There's a feud going on in the town, and then he happens upon this guy Klaus, and it's an origin story of Santa Claus. And I think it's really well done. It's really funny, and there's, you know, like watching watching like kids movies. Like I just rewatched uh, Anastasia the other day, and like it was reminding me of how good Don Bluth's movies are. You know, like Secret of Nim, American Tale, Land Before Time, just one after another after another. And this feels on par with any of those movies. Like kids' movies Damn. don't have to suck; they can be made very well, and they can be great movies. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. It's a masterpiece. I, it's a I great sincerely movie. believe that. You know, I'm a little annoyed that you're giving me another goddamn movie I have to catch up with. But, <laughs> all right. You hadn't heard about this? I'll take it. Yeah. No, I, I I mean, it's, you know, they're trying to get me to watch it every time I turn on Netflix. But right. I did not. Uh, I saw that it was like already on the IMDb top 250, but that list means very little to me yeah, now. But, that list. Yeah. If, you know, if someone I know <laughs> likes it, I guess I'm going to check it out. Cool. All right. Well, uh, my number uh, five is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which uh, I have not rewatched, but I saw it in the theater and enjoyed it. Uh, I feel like it. I honestly, it could go up, it could go down, it could. Say, I have no fucking clue. But uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I like it. I don't understand. I hate the people the who their criticisms of it is like it's aimless and you know it's just like him jerking off and all this kind of shit. I'm just like I, I don't understand why it's just like people are you know you assume one thing about a filmmaker and if they try to move outside of their box at all suddenly you just fucking hate their guts and they're idiots and they shouldn't have done this and they don't know what they're doing and all. it's just like Tarantino has he not like I, I'm not a Tarantino fanboy here but hasn't he earned the right to do to make the film he wants to make, you know, it has the internet to experiment a little bit. Like if he wants to move outside of the confines of revenge thriller, yeah, extremely bloody revenge thriller, I'm all for it. And if he wants to go into the, you know, it's almost like a link later film for three quarters of it. I'm okay with it. Cause he's, he's a good enough writer and a good enough director to accomplish it. Yeah. So. And it's clear. in once upon a time in Hollywood that he was just having a lot of fun with that yeah. era. Yeah. 
Which, you know, when I you, love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fun he's having. Like, I can tell. Like, all the shots of them driving and shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm really into it. Yeah. I really love all that stuff. And uh, I don't know. Fuck the naysayers. Mm. It's a good movie. Number five. Yeah. I really want to re- rewatch that. I uh, I suspect that my rating as I came out of it was too low just because I didn't really know what to make of all of it, even though I enjoyed a lot of it. So mm. There's a lot to take I, in, I too. Suspect, it's so long and everything. Yeah, I suspect it's going to go up for me uh but my number five is a movie that you guys uh didn't like it's uh high life oh yeah high which, life is uh it's it's okay hmm. yeah i mean i you know it's another master of a different kind and a genre she hasn't worked in before it's uh and you know i don't know claire denis is obviously not interested in like what makes a lot of sci-fis successful but um I thought it was really cool. I thought Robert Pattinson was great. And, uh, you know, fuck box. So. Yeah, the fuck box, totally. I uh, I did just uh, get all my uh, fines wiped out thanks to a uh, nameless uh, buddy of mine who is high-ranking at the library. You know, you know <laughs> what I'm talking about, Kevin. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so I got Canopy and uh, whatchamacallit, the Vincent Gallo movie that... He, with from Claire Denny, what's it called? Um, shit, that's the that's the, the vampire one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been meaning Fuck. to watch it anyway. I it's it's on there, and I put it in my watch list. I'm really psyched to check it out. That one, that one is not one of my favorite of hers. I know you said that, is, but it's interesting. I love Gallo so much. I can't imagine not yeah. liking it. Mm-hmm. I even liked uh, Tetro. You know, this film with Coppola, just because he was in it. He was yeah. really. He's just so he's so magnetic to me. I don't know. Yeah. Really enjoy him. And highlight. High Life is another one that, like, now that it is on Prime, I I need to get around to rewatching it. Cause I, you know, there are questions I had about it at the time that I would like to to reinvestigate. But mm. right now, it's number five. Sweet. So, All right, Kevin. So my number four, Us, Jordan Peele's movie. So Jordan Peele's Us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I need to I need to watch this movie again because like I know for sure like when I saw it in the theater I was like eh, it's not not as good as Get Out in my opinion and it ends up being kind of a more straightforward slasher which we all kind of saw from the uh, from the trailer but on a rewatch it'll it might go up so solid yeah I definitely thought us was uh wildly entertaining and even though like a lot of the thematic stuff was questionable mm-hmm. like just in like the way it kind of i don't know not super coherent um still thought it was a lot of fun mm-hmm. really liked it cool my number four is the irishman scorsese's uh what they're saying is his masterpiece although i mean i don't the guy has like 10 masterpieces now so yeah i mean he's <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I love, I liked it a lot. I don't know. Uh, I was expecting a lot to like it a lot more than I did, but I think that I was kind of, you know, you go into it thinking it's a Scorsese gangster film, but he's definitely not in gangster film mode on this one. He's in uh silence mode, you know, or, uh, one of his more recent somber, uh, contemplative films, as opposed to, there's like there's no crazy editing in this one, and there's no insane uh, 
gratuitous violence really i mean there's some violent scenes but it doesn't get that bad and mm. it's actually really i found the violence to be really repetitive like everything every every time somebody's killed they're killed in the exact same way it seems like which i don't mind because i don't think that that's what this movie's about um and i really really enjoy the last i don't know what it is like the last 35 minutes of it uh the last act where you know one of the characters is essentially just you know coming to terms with his his past and approaching his mortality and love love when Joe Pesci exits the film. You guys remember this? Yes. He was in the wheelchair. I mean, un- un- unbelievable. That's I was great. Like, I almost cried during it. It was, it was so so good. Uh, yeah, and I think everybody's terrific in it. Obviously, Pacino would be the the one who kind of like stands out just because he's so loud and <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of boisterous as Hoffa. But uh, Pesci should really be commended here for his mm. incredibly subtle, quiet performance. You know, seeing that he's played, I mean, obviously, if he had played it like he played, you know, Nicky Santoro or, or Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas and Casino, it would have been, you know, kind of weird because mm. we've seen him do that before. It was weird when he did it in Casino, honestly, because it's like, hey, you've already seen that, you know. But, uh, yeah, really enjoyed The Irishman. Looking forward to rewatching. I almost guarantee it will go up on a rewatch. Yeah, this, this feels like a. And I know it's been like the theme of the past four picks of ours, but this seems like a quintessential rewatch now that yeah. like the expectations of the Scorsese gangster movie are gone. Right. You can kind of just kind of dive into this sort of, you know, yeah. investigation of mortality. The only problem is that it's hard to find time to rewatch a movie this long. Sure. Mm. And I, I, I don't think the movie is too long. Uh, there's nothing that I can think of that I would just have to cut besides maybe like the Robert De Niro kicking the grocery guy scene. Yeah. It's just, That's... which is maybe just like the only moment where he actually looks old. Yeah. He definitely shows his age on that one. It's, it's, that's a weird scene. I don't think it's laughable. I just don't think it's necessary or very good. Yeah. Um, mm. But other than that, I mean this, this movie like earns, it earns its length. For sure. I think it should be long. Not For on sure. my list though. Because oh. you know, just sorry, it was right ahead of uh, right ahead of us at fourteen. Mm. Fourteen. <laughs> All right, Jr. Number four. Uh, my number four is under the Silver Lake. Um, is that from another? This year? I yeah. was wondering about. I mean, highlight. released released theatric released theatrically both of these high life and under the silver lake in 2019 okay under the silver lake of course being delayed over a year right from its premiere but uh fuck you guys i'm gonna do what i want (laughs) so according to imdb it's a 2018 film yeah yeah you know what? Did you have a chance to see it at whatever fest can? Did you have a chance to see I it in like, 2018? I don't know. I feel like I did see it in 2018, but I don't... You, uh, not, you downloaded nothing. it pretty early. Yeah, I, yeah. You could have done the same. <laughs> I I did, but I didn't actually get around to watching it until it was on Prime. Mm. Um, it's also 2018 on Letterboxd, so a little, little shaky there, bud. <laughs> three, at least three of my movies. 2018. Sorry. High Life is 2018, premiered. In America in 2019. I honestly don't give a Shadows fuck. Shadows so 2018 pretty premiered in America in 2019. Yeah, it's yeah. totally fine. Whatever. Um, my, anyway. uh, my number one movie is from like three years ago, so. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. um, my number one film of 2019 is The Revenant. 
<laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Under the Silver Lake is definitely an overly long, meandering, yeah. um, kind of character study of an awful character in this, uh, you know, part of LA. Who he's obsessed with finding this girl who, uh, to him, appears to have disappeared, but probably just moved out from his apartment complex. Uh, I found it very funny. It's it's like a movie about, it just has like a vibe that I can get into and hang out in. Really enjoyed it. I, I agree about the vibe. I mean, I, I didn't hate it. I was just, uh, I don't know. I guess it presents itself as like the whole noir mystery aspect and you expect there to be some kind of, I don't know, maybe like a more interesting payoff than what it actually is. And and there's some really weird shit that happens that I'm just like, I even, I, mean, I even still think about the scene with the piano guy. Like I, I just like, I don't even, I can't wrap my mind around what, like what any of that means. <laughs> like it's just such a weird scene to have in this movie. And that, that guy is really weird. And the actor and playing him in the makeup, I don't know. This whole thing's really strange. It, it's also like everything every instinct in you is telling you that like Andrew Garfield's character is a dumbass. There isn't really like a, there's not a mystery here, right? But then just like weird shit keeps happening. Of course there is, there is something going on. It's just not what anyone thought it would be. Hmm. What, where it goes is really strange. Yeah. Including to the piano man's house. Hmm. Super weird. Kev. Uh, my number three is the Irishman. Solid. Yeah, the whole the whole thing of him like kind of being involved in like historical points, I thought was a just a little bit weak. But I really enjoyed the fact that uh, a little, a little Joe, gumpy. Was yeah, it gumpy uh, though? Uh, I mean, what, which which, which part really. do you mean? I mean, like the one. Well, the specific one that I'm talking about is where like. Uh, I I actually enjoy, enjoyed this. The fact that like Joe Pesci is like. You're gonna go down to Miami, and you're gonna meet a fairy named Fairy. Oh yeah, and he's referencing David Fairy, who he played in JFK. Right, right. I enjoyed that, but then like you know, like when he gets there, and like he's like so, he's like kind of involved in the Bay of Pigs fiasco. It's like okay, that's, I didn't that's mind. A, I didn't mind that. It wasn't I thought, terrible. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't nearly. It wasn't nearly as bad as like Forrest Gump. Not, where he's like, well, like in everything. No. Yeah, I mean, but, I don't uh, think it's. I don't think it's Forrest Gumpish at all because he. He doesn't even understand necessarily what what he was involved in, you know. What yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah. and not not that Forrest Gump does, but it's like the audience certainly does. And I don't even right. know that we one hundred percent get that he was, you know, like what what level of involvement there was there. But yeah, I didn't mind that. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, my number three is the Lighthouse. Uh, you know, by Eggers. Mm. Um, this was number one for a long time. But uh, that was back when I only had one five out of five movie this year, mm. which this was. And uh, really enjoyed The Lighthouse. Great cinematography, great performances, especially Defoe. Obviously, the guy is the king. Can't wait to see Tommaso, which is the new Abel Ferrer film that he's in. Um, you know, I might even bite the bullet and watch that bullshit Disney movie that he's in where he's the dog sled guy. <laughs> like to- Togo or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Just because just he's in it. Because this guy is just, 
he's great. <laughs> I will, I definitely won't watch that. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, the lighthouse is uh, terrific. I you know thinking back on it, I do uh, have a few issues with some of the imagery, particularly near the end. Um, maybe the uh, analogy uh, that that the guy is going that the director's going for is a little little on the nose a little too much but you know i appreciate it i like i like metaphor and film so number three the lighthouse all right i think uh the rest of my picks are gonna be just repeats of yours but my number three is uh it's marriage story i i definitely got what you're saying about uh it being just very written um I think just Stagey. like kind of the, sorry, stagey, right? Like yeah. the scene when they're confronting each other in his apartment, and the, it escalates into them screaming at each other, and he says, "I I think about you dying or whatever." I was just like, yeah. I, I that escalation didn't feel genuine to me, and it the whole thing felt like a stage play, which I guess so is like meta because is, you know he's mm. a stage director, but that is definitely not my favorite scene, just because. I think you can communicate a lot of the motions in this movie without the shouting match. Right. Um, and I think this movie is very good at communicating emotions. Um, in that scene, I, I thought like, you know, I, I would, I can see like a lot of, you know, married people or people divorcing, having those thoughts. Uh, I don't really believe it coming out in a shout like that, but I also found the movie uh, quite funny. Like, I really enjoyed the humor in the movie. I loved the three lawyers, uh, Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, and Alan Alda. I, I, I do. Too. Yeah, I forgot to mention, uh, especially Alan Alda. I was, I love yeah. Alan Alda, and he's amazing in this. <laughs> yeah. He's and, so uh, gentle and just, I, 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 I listen to his podcast sometimes, uh, that he does and he's, he's just got like the best voice on earth. Like it's just so calming and <laughs> soothing. He's the man. You know, I, I think for, for a scene like, like the shouting match, like that is, that is more than made up for with, uh, you know, the scene where he's being observed mm. to find out whether or not he'll be a good father. And, you know, like, he has to look good and the kids not cooperating with making him look good. And then he has like the accident with the knife and it's yeah. all of a sudden very bloody. And it's, uh, I just thought that was great. Uh, it's, you know, it's not Noah Baumbach's best movie. No. And, uh, Meyerowitz, you know, is. really deal, yeah. deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I still, so that was really good. Okay. We're, I'm sorry. Real quick. What is Noah Baumbach's best movie? I, I think I it's, don't know. Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen any, I, well, I haven't seen enough of his stuff to be able to fit, but I thought you liked um, Squid and the Whale or Francis Ha better. A Squid and the Whale would be I, I, like middle to me. Oh, okay. I think they're all, I think almost all of them are very good. I like all of them except Kicking and Screaming, but I haven't seen it in a long time. I like Kicking and Screaming. I don't, I don't remember loving um, one of the ones with, with Greta Gerwig I thought was Greenberg. Sorry? Greenberg? Oh, no. Francis I mean, yeah, ha? she's in that, but... No, I like that one. It was one of the ones after Francis Ha. Oh, like Mistress they did, America. Uh, they did We Were Young, and there was another one. Mistress America. Th- yeah, thank you. Yeah. I think that was it. That's probably near the bottom for me, too, but I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's Meyerowitz stories. I need to rewatch Meyerowitz stories, but I really loved it, 
and then that and Francis Ha for me would be like the top two. But I'm yep. meaning to rewatch Margot at the Wedding for a long time because when I saw it in the theater, I was really blown away by it. But I haven't seen it since the theater, so it's been like 15 years. <laughs> so I need to <laughs> really, check. Everyone, out everyone calls that one in Greenberg just like too nasty. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I liked how nasty, yeah. especially I remember, like in Greenberg. I like Ben Stiller's curmudgeon-y, angry guy. Like that's good mm-hmm. stuff. I remember loving Nicole Kidman and Margaret the Wedding, but yeah, I also too. haven't seen it in a long time. Well, you might be forced to watch it here in a little bit. Oh, oh, no. oh. mystery there, a little teaser, <laughs> mall teaser. All right, uh, Kevin, number two. Uh, my number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and I'm sure it would go up af- after a rewatch. Like, <coughs> it's just so much fun, and like, I, I. I so much appreciated DiCaprio in this movie, especially because like I love his characterizations of Rick Dalton and then how like you see Rick Dalton as an actor. Like, yeah. So it's like three things going on. And I really love yeah. the, uh, when Brad Pitt makes the Mac and cheese, I yeah. wanted to make, make Mac and cheese like right then and there. I was like, oh, I yeah, gotta have great. that Mac and cheese. It's delicious. Yeah. And, yeah, like I mean, and I love how that's like a there's a callback to that scene at the end of the film. I thought it was very satisfying that call the the, the thing with the dog, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I love that shit. <laughs> yeah, and I love I love that sequence where like he and the dog are like beating up the um the Manson followers. Like that was so much. It was so much fun. Like yes, it was over the top, but it's a Tarantino movie. Like. If you expect it not to be over the top, then, like, what are you doing here? Like, and I can grant you, like, there's a criticism um, that I've heard of, you know, well, like, there's a lot of this, like, kind of, you know, hero criticism of, well, I don't like to see women get beat up by men, <laughs> this kind of shit, whatever, you know. But it's like, it's like, uh, I won't even, I honestly, I won't even dignify that because it's just, like, obviously, you know, these aren't, like, it's not, a, like, you think of her as a woman, she's like a serial killing psychopath cult member, like, yeah, she's evil. Anyway, but uh, there's this, you know, it's it feels like oh, it's, this is Tarantino, and he's like, I'm making a Tarantino movie, so it has to get crazy, violent, and stuff, and there has to be these. Insa- but it's like, even if that were the case, again, let the man make his movie. Like that's fine. That that is one of his <laughs> trademarks. He he's a very violent filmmaker. He's yeah. never made a movie that's not uh, uh, very very violent. You know, even his movies that are less violent, Jackie Brown, for instance, yeah, yeah. still has these very shocking moments of violence in them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I just don't yeah, like what is it? Everybody's su- so fucking surprised. Like get over yourselves. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's so much fun and I'm sure it would go up on a rewatch. Sweet. My number two movie is uh parasite by Bong Joon Ho, uh, which I'll tell you, I was, I, I knew I had to watch this before making this list because everybody's talking about how good it is. And, uh, it won the palm door and everything. And I was just like, I'm not going to like this as much as everybody else because (laughs) it's Korean. And I just not into Asian cinema, but I'll tell you this thing. Talk about transcendent. This thing transcends the culture. Like it's about, uh, classism. And when you make a film about classism, it doesn't matter what, you know what I mean? Like, it, they, you could read it, if you're Korean, I guess you could read it as, like, it's about classism in Korea. But you could read it as about classism anywhere. And uh, it's very funny. It's probably the funniest movie I saw this year. 
Um, I mean, like genuinely humorous and uh, <laughs> dark also, though, and just really terrific, incredibly tight storytelling. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, nothing I'm going to say is anything different than what anybody else is saying about it. It's, it's just a terrific movie. It's very entertaining and very provocative and evocative and a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And I, I'm going to have to, this movie more than Memories of Murder is going to make me want to watch more Bong Joon-ho stuff so, that I've missed. So I really enjoyed Parasite. Is this your highest rated uh, Asian I was thinking about that, ever? actually. I think that, uh, I well, obviously, I hadn't rated a lot of, uh, I mean, I rated, I think, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I gave Rashomon five stars. And I, I remember, if I didn't, I would. Because I love Rashomon, and I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of those, like Ron and Rashomon and Seven Samurai, I probably give all of those five stars. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely the highest outside of Kurosawa, probably without nice. a doubt. So I really, really enjoyed it. All right. So again, I'm just going to repeat you. My number two is uh, the Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of uh, yeah. I don't. I don't really have much to add to what you said. Besides, I, I had a lot of fun with the you know with the i guess mood and imagery of the film yeah it's it's a great place to be a really miserable <laughs> rock in canada yeah. yeah they really they really uh give you the good that feeling of that misery you know it mm-hmm. feels feels nasty and wet and dirty and cold and just absolutely miserable even the poster is like, I'm just looking at the poster now and it's just like, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be, I don't, I wouldn't want to be there at all. Great film. Did you saw the lighthouse? Yeah. No, I still no, you didn't have. Oh man. So mm. you, you missed a lot of shit, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's hear what you, uh, what piece of shit movie that you must have at number one since you didn't see anything good. Go ahead. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Holy shit. Well, I haven't I haven't seen Uncut Gems, I haven't seen Lighthouse, uh I haven't seen Parasite. I like But you just listed all these good movies <laughs> that you have this seen. This is JR's is anti Star Wars bias coming through. I'm okay with that. Hey look man, you enjoy what you enjoy, right? Yeah. I mean I'm sure other I'm sure other movies will supplant it when I actually am sure. able to see them, sure. but like Yeah, like like I was, I was telling, like, besides this movie, the last movie that I saw in the theater was John Wick three in May, <laughs> and that was a two and a half. How was that not on any of our lists? My right? number is sixteen. I knew it. I knew that was going to be somewhere on your <laughs> right, stupid right. fucking list. That movie's <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah, and um, I had I had high expectations for Midsummer, but it was bad. Yeah, it was awful. Um, awful. Yeah, it was really not good. <laughs> but you guys yeah. don't have to stare at me when you say that. <laughs> but yeah, and I, like I was looking, I was looking, like I like filtered my letterbox stuff to like 2019 movies, and like there's 11 things on here. Yeah. And let's see, one, two, three, three of them are twos or two and a half. Then like, it was a weak a year, f- man. Yeah, like A3, A3 and a half. Dead Don't Die was a three and a half. Um, Triple Frontier was probably... Yeah, I'm going to say it was worse than Midsummer. Yeah, I hated that too. Yeah. I hated Midsummer more, but... 
Yeah. Wait, what did you give the dead don't die? Three and a half. Oh, me too. I I thought that I thought that was much better than I thought it would be. I didn't see it. You but haven't seen it yet? No. Oh, okay. I don't. I really don't want to, but I will eventually because yeah, I have I mean, to see German it's, films. But it's yeah. so much better than the trailer made it look. Yeah, but I just don't. I, you know me. I'm gonna have like nitpicks about stupid shit like CG blood and stuff, and it's really gonna bother me. And I, I just, I can't, can't do it, brother. But uh, you know. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you don't, you know, we're all victims of uh, circumstance and what you're able to see and what you're not able to see, what you have time to see. Mm-hmm. We live in a, essentially a backwater town here where nothing comes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> or if it does, or if it does show up, it's it, here for like a week, a week. Oh. Honey, honey boy was here for one week and I went to, I was like, I'm going Tuesday. I called up Jonathan. I was like, dude, let's go Tuesday. Let's see honey boy. Cause we had talked about seeing it. And then he's like, "Oh, we can't go Tuesday because Allison's not off work. Uh, let's go. Let's go this weekend instead." I was like, okay, great. And then Friday comes around, and it's not there anymore. Just like kill me. I mean, are you serious? Yeah, like I think I think you guys had logged Lighthouse mm-hmm. like on I want to say like a Friday or Saturday. I saw it opening night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like I think I had like my Friday off like the next weekend. Yeah. And it was already not not playing anymore. So the thing like, about these, any kind of like, yeah, it's like if it even smells like art house, they don't want to keep it in the theater too long. You yeah, know? what's weird and what's weird about that? I was thinking about that. Cats, the movie Cats, is on its way to a hundred million dollar loss, right? And yet you can go see that at any theater in Baton Rouge right now. You yeah. have been able to for two weeks now, and you'll right. be able to all next week and the week and after. But it's not making any money. Like what well, part of that? Part of that has to do with. Um, will likely has to do with contracts like theaters when they get a print they have to sign a contract that has to, like you have to keep it this minimum number of weeks oh yeah mm-hmm. apparently um disney is really dickish about those kind of uh contracts i don't know who made cats mm-hmm. but it is likely that kind of thing because I, I doubt that i doubt theater owners are dying to keep cats in their theater right now right yeah and like uh i saw I saw the other day that Parasite was going to be playing at the Manship, but that was like, no, fuck the, <laughs> fuck the Manship. No, the Manship's it's brutal. A bad, that's a bad screen. It's a bad screen. It's bad and people. I, yeah, and like, it's like the same thing like when I went to see uh, Vertigo or Sunset Boulevard. Like, there are going to be people who don't go to the movies, like, ever, so they don't give a shit about anyone else in the room, and they're going to pretty much fucking ruin it. So just really weird, like... That's supposed to be like a highbrow art, yeah. arty yeah, kind but of thing. See, yeah, the highbrow people it's, are yeah. old old boomers who fucking, you know, don't give a it, shit about film. It's yeah. just bizarre. It, yeah, I, I agree that that's what it is. It's just... Yeah, it's like, like... It doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Yeah, it's like, well, I remember when 2001 came out and I saw it in the theater and... So what? Yeah, it's Man. like, who gives a shit? Like... Banners is the fucking worst. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Denver guy. <laughs> yeah. Fucking asshole. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> go smoke another bowl legally. Uh, <laughs> so my number one of the year, no surprise, Safety Brothers Uncut Gems. Best of the year by a mile. Uh, six out of five. Mm. <laughs> Just a masterpiece. The one filmmaking. six out of five this yeah. year, huh? There are There is no other. Right. <coughs> I know usually you have that hard and fast rule. You gotta like have two. Some, sometimes, two or, sometimes it'll bend. Yeah, but, no, yeah. two, 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 no more than two. Okay. But uh, this is uh, this is it for me this year. It's uh, absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
Sandler's very, very good in it. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from him, but his performance, it feels like the talk of his performance is really overshadowing other people who are also very good in it. Like um, this girl who's in it, whose name is something Fox, and she is a fox. Indeed, Adina Menzel? No, Julia Julia Fox. <laughs> Adele Dazim. Uh, Julia Fox is in it, and she's, uh, it's like her first movie, and she's absolutely amazing in it. And mm. uh, Lakeith Stanfield, obviously, oh, yeah, always yeah. dependable. Eric Bogosian? Eric Bogosian rules but the guy who plays his like right hand man whose name i don't even know i mean i don't even know who it is in this list of guys is also amazing and uh it just builds to this incredible final scene this final sequence that is just uh breathtaking and very very satisfying and Mm. i i feel like they portray they portray a gambling addict so realistically like the the way the way that this guy talks himself into gambling <laughs> like when he should not be gambling like he right. doesn't have any money you know he's like in debt to these bad people but he's like he'll he's just talk is this amazing scene where he's talking to Kevin Garnett and he's just he just you can see it just through the course of this conversation he just talks himself into betting all this money he's got all the money to pay his debts off he's like I'm just gonna bet all this money on tonight's game it's insane it's so good but um yeah, really terrific film, and I highly encourage everyone on Earth to see it. Awesome. Number Tried one. Tried to go this morning. Couldn't make it work. Mm. Oh, that's too bad. Well, yeah, I'll, go, I'll go tomorrow morning. Um, so the movie that I wanted to put at number one and decided against and left off my list entirely was uh, The Lonely Island Presents The Unauthorized Bash <laughs> Brothers Experience because I really, really fucking love the unauthorized bash brother experience. And I've seen it, I think, uh, four or five times now. You're a pussy. Then you should have put it on your list. Um, just do it, man. Is it, how long is it? It's only 30 minutes. Oh, that's not, I I was like, I'm not going to do shorts. Yeah, you can't do a short. Mm. That's true. Um, fair enough. I I respect that. Honorable mention. Cause it's, it's a beautiful, brilliant thing. Uh, my number one is, you know, it's like a, like if you know my taste, this is a pretty like chalk year. My number one's Parasite. Right, right. Uh, I didn't see obviously I didn't see Uncut Gems yet. I didn't see Little Women. I didn't see um, the Terrence Malick movie that I'll probably like. Oh yeah, that, yeah. It's I, like I you know, there's all kinds too. of shit I haven't seen yet. But uh, Parasite is, you know, amazing. So there you go. There you go. Absolutely. You, nothing else to say. All right. Well, that's our uh, top. 10 or 5 of the year for 2019. 2019 is in the books. But you know what else is in the books is the decade. Mm. 2010 to 2019. So, how many movies are we going to talk about here? Because I've got a list of 50. <laughs> I bumped it up to 50. And I know I think that's what you said originally, John, right? 50? Yeah, but I don't... You know, it's like talking about all 100 on my list just doesn't seem feasible you Let's know do like, it. <laughs> three or four minutes for each one we'll be out of here in oh six seven God. hours <laughs> i'm so ashamed i got to you like know, i got to like five five <laughs> I just, best of the decade five I, just, I, just, I didn't like i have like almost no free time like yeah yeah like between, this is your problem is that you also have not probably been logging since 2010 eh? that's true that's true 
Um, Not that I have either, but I mean, I but I, I went mean, back and I've I went I've gone back and I think at this point I want to say I've marked everything I've ever seen. Right? Yeah. <coughs> like I I, I I I can tell you I definitely <coughs> haven't done that. Um, well, we'll do our top fifties, and when we get down to five, we'll do a roundtable <laughs> discussion. Do you really want to do top fifties? No, like, but I mean, uh, I'm, I'll post my top to fifty. Like, what do you want to do? Like top twenty? Sure. Of the decade. Yeah. All right. Well, let me reorder some stuff then. And I'm happy to like, uh, you know, I'll direct people to my to my letterbox if you want to. Sure. If you want to see the full list with you know a lot of great movies on it, but um, yeah. And yeah, we should probably not do more than like uh, 30 seconds on each of these movies. Well, yeah, we don't even, I mean, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. There's nothing right. to say necessarily, and you know, you just uh, jump right over it and say, hey, you know what? We're done. So, uh, number, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. Do it. I'm going fu- to fucking start. Go, brother. Uh, number 20, Martin Scorsese's Silence, his best movie of the decade. Wow. Yeah, it is better than Hugo, everyone. <laughs> What? I, I actually love Hugo. Are people but... arguing with that? Well, I guess people would argue with that. Um, yeah. All right. You got your 20? Yes. Right, Number 20, uh, Kelly Reichardt's Meek's Cutoff, uh, mm. which is uh, just a masterpiece in my opinion. It's uh, Little House on the Prairie, the movie, and uh, I really love it. I love every second of it, actually. I even love the complete non sequitur weird ending that has nothing to do with anything it's just like they pan over to a tree and the movie's over it's I, definitely I, not not the right place for that movie but continue <laughs> where should it be higher or lower well, i guess we'll find out oh oh boy oh boy <laughs> yeah, higher higher well this is the uh, number 20 for me sorry brother at least it's on there huh you know yeah all right number 19 go ahead uh number 19 parasite we just talked about it my uh yeah Best movie of this year is 19 for the whole decade. Sweet. Number 19 for me is The Social Network, uh, the Fincher movie about Facebook. Just a blast to get through. Re- infinitely rewatchable. You know, could just watch, put it on any time and watch it. Wonderfully written, wonderfully directed, wonderfully acted. Beautiful film. It's definitely one that I need to rewatch. Yeah. Um, 18 uh, is. The Way Back, directed by Peter Weir, way back in Whoa. 2010. Really? Uh, I don't know anyone else who's ever seen this movie. I have not. But I fucking love it. I've thought about it watching is. it before, especially after I saw uh, Hanging Rock. I was like, oh, maybe I should check out The Way Back, because Ed, Ed Harris is in it, too, and everything. Yeah. But I just never got around to it. I don't know. Isn't like, is Saoirse Ronan in it? Yeah. Not, yeah. not for a lot, but yes. I mean, these, you know. It's about three guys that break out of a um, the gulag, yeah, yeah, Russian gulag, and try to travel to, you know, Mongolia to find, you know, they're they're trying to make their way out of the, you know, Soviet and r- communist bloc to find freedom, and it is uh, it's great, it's a great journey, killer, killer number eighteen, uh, love and mercy, which. I desperately want to rewatch. I just can't find the time. But uh, this is a... Uh, I just love this movie. It was a real surprise how good it was. And uh, Cusack is amazing. Dano is amazing. Great story. Very emotional. Paul Giamatti just being a dick. I love it. <laughs> love it. All right. 17. 
It Follows, which I guess is that my favorite horror movie of the decade? No, it's not. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I I feel similarly to this as I do for David Robert Mitchell's, you know, other movie that I already talked about, Under the Silver Lake. It's it's just got a great vibe. I I do find like the idea of what's going on in It Follows uh, very frightening. Hmm. Yeah. I liked It Follows. I didn't I didn't love it, but I think I got caught up with the uh there's just just a little bit too much too many rules and uh you know the whole horror clichés of, you know, uh, we got to fig- figure it out and fix it and fight back and all that kind of Yeah. I guess I would have preferred if it was just more bleak. But um my number 17 is Green Room, which I love, just a pure adrenaline rush. Uh super violent beautiful effects practical makeup effects with the violence Anton Yelchin's one of his last performances and one of his best performances just a a real fun time at the movies kids green room um my 16 is the love witch which is a um movie and a biller directed and released in 2016 it's like a i don't know horror fantasy comedy that's also a throwback to like uh 60s b movies and its visual style it is hmm. it is uh the love witch huh the love witch yeah you could i don't know where this is now it was on the criterion channel for a while uh maybe it's on prime but um what year is it from? It is about 2016. Okay. It's about a girl, you know, a beautiful young witch. Uh, she moves to the big city to, you know, make a living and <laughs> does a bunch of weird shit. Sounds, sounds it is really on, exciting. It is on Prime. Okay. But, I might check it out if, yeah. if you think that highly of it. My number 16 movie of the decade even saying that it's just like too much. It's just like this should, Oh man, <laughs> under the skin, uh, you know, Jonathan Glazer. It's, uh, it's a movie that, you know, before I rewatch it, I think I've seen it three times now. And before I rewatch it, I'm always like, eh, is it that good? And then I rewatch it. And it's just like mind blowing, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh Jesus, it's really fucking it's good. good. Um, but yeah, I really just wish the guy would make more fucking movies. Yeah. <laughs> when was his last movie? Under the Skin was his last movie. What? Yeah. It was like 2013. Thir- thir- yeah. Wow. It's been 7 years this year, so That's too long. I mean before that and it before was Before that it was Birth, right? Yeah, 2004. 2004. Yeah. I think it's 4. Yeah. So Yikes. I mean that's insane, you know, it's 9 years in between a movie. So mm. the guy just I think he has trouble getting financing cuz his films are very obviously very challenging and esoteric and everything. Anyway, Under the Skin 16. All right, uh, number 15 is where Meek's cutoff belongs. <laughs> so five spaces. <laughs> <laughs> Was I being overly dramatic? I don't know. <coughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add to Meek's cutoff. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, it's a blast. Um, number 15 for me is Good Time, the Safety Brothers' last movie before Uncut Gems, which uh, I really like a lot and uh Benny Safdie's performance in particular as the 
mentally challenged brother is underrated. People don't talk about it enough. His fantastic performance and uh, the soundtrack rules. Uh, so yeah, good time. Number 15. All right. 14 is, uh, the forbidden room guy. Madden's kind of like, uh, I watched half of this on Netflix about two years ago (laughs) and never finished it. Uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's basically like a Russian nesting doll of a Mm -hmm. movie with scenes leading into scenes, into scenes. And they're all sort of connected, but it is, a. You should, everyone should check it out. Sweet. I was going to, real quick, I had a, a film that I watched that reminded me of Guy Madden. And I can't find, oh, The Navigator, a Medieval Odyssey. Have you heard of this? No. It's directed by um, Vincent Ward, who's, I guess, best known for the kind of uh, train wreck of a movie, uh, What Dreams May Come, with Robin Williams. That was a train wreck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is before that. This is in the 80s. And it's a movie about, uh, I watched it on Canopy. And it's a movie about uh, these guys in the 14th century and like Middle Ages. And they're trying to escape the Black Plague. And they listen to this boy who has visions. And he tells them that they have to dig through the earth to get to the other side of the earth where there's like a special city. And if they go to that city and they erect a uh, a cross on top of the steeple of its church that God will bless them and they won't have, they won't get the plague. So they, they decide to do that and they dig through the earth. And when they come out the other side, they come out in modern day in New Zealand. And it's like, but it's not goofy or funny at all. Like it's played completely real, but just the visual style of it really, especially the opening scenes, which are black and white. They really reminded me of guy Madden, like just the feel of them and, and the, the vision sequences in particular. I don't know. Check it out. If you have the time. Uh, the Navigator, a medieval odyssey. I was in a real medieval mood. I rewatched Andre Rublev, and I, mm. <laughs> so I just wanted to watch some more medieval shit. Um, movie blows. My number uh, fourteen is Sicario, Day of the Soldado. No, I'm just kidding. Sicario, <laughs> the first Sicario. Uh, you know, by Denny Villeneuve, uh, the one-hit wonder himself, uh, <laughs> who will never make another great film. Just kidding. I, I'm looking forward to Dune, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Sicario. I think it's near perfect. Uh, I mean, everybody in it rules. Everybody does an amazing job. It's terrific. What can I say? It's another one of these just infinitely rewatchable, beautiful looking, very technically proficient. <laughs> amazing. This this the the scene where. <laughs> Benicio is interrogating uh, the guy who tried to kill Emily Blunt, you know, mm-hmm. and John Bernthal. And he's in the car with him and he's like using his body to like put pressure on him and stuff. Just weird shit like that that <laughs> you could imagine or like real tactics that he might have learned or something. But it's, I don't know. I love that shit. Great movie. Looking forward to the third one, the, the trifecta, because Sicario 2 is good. I like it. Have they announced a third one? Well, it's a part of a trilogy. They they're saying oh, okay. Taylor Sheridan is writing all three. So, cool. and he is he is a big part of the reason that this movie works so well. Is his right. his writing is quite good. Mm. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's it. All right, thirteen is the witch, which uh, you know, with if Robert Eggers just like 
fucks up a couple of scenes, it becomes the silliest fucking movie of all time. But uh, even with that, all all like the you know we'll call it old English, even though it's not old English, but you know 17th century style uh, dialogue and a talking goat, and it just it's uh, it's still scary as hell. It works. Now let's be clear though: the goat never talks, does it? No, you're right. No, the the goat is Satan, and Satan yeah. talks when he becomes Satan. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> just to make, just to be clear, I, I was I wasn't sure I missed something. Maybe the goat does talk. No, and I no. missed it. Okay. You're right. Um, my number thirteen is uh just I think you're really gonna agree with me on this one, Jr. Steve Jobs, number number thirteen of the decade. <laughs> <laughs> I. Did you see I rated that recently? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it was fucking better than I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's, uh, I think it's Boyle's best film. I think uh, it's uh, Fassbender, one of his best performances. I really love the writing. I love the energy of it. Uh, the That's editing. Yeah. Uh, and Kate Winslet's really good. And the, um, what's his, Stuhlbarg, also fantastic. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I and even Seth Rogen, I mean, he's a little out of his depth, but he, he pulls it off. And, uh, yeah, that's a really solid film. I love Steve Jobs, the movie. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, 12, yeah, 12. Um, 12, is, 12 is tangled. <laughs> 12 oh, is, uh, yeah, 12 is tangled. Okay. I, uh, yeah, this is definitely... Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Tangled. You know, it's it's a hard movie to defend. Exactly, oh, you know, it's just the best. It's just the best Disney animated movie since. Is he talking still. Okay. You know that Lion King, Aladdin, um, Beauty and the Beast era. I missed your it's entire wonderful. defense of it, but uh, my, oh, my, no, head, my a, headphone jack okay. came out. <laughs> but you'll, um, you'll never watch it. It's all right. No, I mean. I, you're saying it's the 12th best film of the decade. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah, I might watch it. Mm. I have a daughter. You, I mean, <laughs> you should check it out. Yeah. I need you guys need to vamp for a minute. I need, my computer's about to die. I got to go get my charger. Go get oh, your okay. charger. We'll vamp. So, uh you got five movies. Yeah. Are you hearing it's some just... o- are you hearing some other ones that we're saying that you're like, "Oh yeah, I saw that. That is a good movie. That should be on my list." Yeah, definitely Green Room. Um We'll throw it on your list, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just don't know about like placement. Um, oh yeah, yeah well, cuz I was thinking like I was like yeah, cuz I mean, there's a couple couple of movies like uh a couple of Wes Anderson movies. Um <laughs> I was thinking about Sonia too, like which one did I like more? Did I like Blue Ruin more, or did I like Green Room more? Mm. Um, See, for me, I think Green Room is just the more tight and polished version of Blue Ruin. You know what I mean? I it's can like see a that. more, and it's got less of that. Like Blue Ruin's got these emotional scenes, and it's which yeah, work, yeah. and they're fine. But uh, Green Room doesn't have any of that. It gets it's more lean, you know. Right. Which I like. I like it's just pure genre. You know, mm. I really appreciate that. I don't think you get a lot of that anymore. Everything's got to be a mix of, you know, these incredibly emotional, dramatic moments. and Right. Let's just have a fucking genre picture, man. Non-stop yeah. adrenaline. Yeah. Because then I started thinking, like, like, Saulnier with, you know, two five out of fives back to back. And then you get to uh, Hold the Dark, which yeah. sucked. Well, you know. He, uh, yeah, he really, uh, he really shit the bed. I don't, I don't understand. 
And I've actually, I actually listened to another podcast where they defended Hold the Dark quite a bit, and they said it was oh. quite good. And they gave some reasons, and I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I just don't. I, it almost made me want to rewatch it, but I really don't want to do it to myself. So. Yeah, I mean, nah. All right, well, uh, JR's back, so uh, my number 12 is a bit, a little controversial here, okay? Mm. So you guys have to let me know if this will fly or not. But my number 12 uh, film, quote-unquote, of the decade is The Staircase. Does this work? Is this okay? The Staircase? The uh, the true crime documentary series, right? Yes, yes. Oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, my so number one is... is going to be on here? Your number, number one, one is, Twin, is Peaks? Twin Peaks. No, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Kaihei Du Cinema? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like, uh, I don't know why, but The Staircase, more than The Jinx, more than Making a Murder, feels cinematic to me in a in a, in a more real way. Mm. Uh, and maybe it's because it's so plainly presented. But it's, uh, I think it's the best of those kind of, um, those kinds of true crime films. And uh, it's very, very compelling, and there's a lot to it. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just great. It's just like real and raw and fantastic. So if you haven't seen The Staircase, get on it. Mm. I have not seen The Staircase. Get on Me it. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. And I, I honestly thought it was older than that. I don't know. I feel like I remember seeing that in major video, like <laughs> two major decades video. ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, but no, it's that's always been on my list and I've never made it to it. So I got to do that. Uh, my number 11 is Personal Shopper. Uh, Olivier Isaias, uh working with Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Um, and what is sort of like a mystery movie, and there's something supernatural going on, but it's, uh, you know, another one of those, you know, beautiful and atmospheric, sort of esoteric movies that I seem to enjoy. Um I'm pretty sure, John, you've seen this? Yes. Which one? Personal Shopper? Yeah. I love it. It's on my top 50. Sweet. And I, yeah, I love this, like, phase that Asias is going through with Kristen Stewart with Personal Shopper and Clouds of Sils Maria. I'm I'm so in. So yeah. in on it. I like both of those. I like I liked Personal Shopper better, but they're, they're yeah, both me, quite good. Me too, yeah. My number 11 is The Phenom. Uh, which is a uh, a little discussed film by a director whose name is Noah Bushell. And uh, it stars uh, this guy, Johnny Simmons, who's been in some other stuff, but he's not really a big name. And Ethan Hawke plays his father, and Paul Giamatti plays his therapist. And oh, yeah. It's about yeah. a uh, pitcher in the major league baseball and he's going to a therapist and he's reliving these events from his uh i don't know not his adolescence he's like an adult throughout the whole movie but his father's abusive and i don't know it blew me away when i watched it i I thought it was absolutely incredible and uh i'm kind of scared to rewatch it because what if it doesn't hold up but i do own it and i will rewatch it eventually um yeah really love the phenom Check it out. Sweet. Yeah, it is I, sweet. I yeah i <laughs> I do forget about that movie because because I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one that came and went. Oh yeah, I mean people. nobody. Yeah, I mean all of his films actually. This guy uh, Noah Bushell, he 
he directed another movie a few years ago called uh, The Missing Person with Michael Shannon and Amy Ryan. And I mean, it's, nobody it's talks too. about that. And he's got another one called The Gla- uh, Glass Chin. Nobody talks Damn. about that. I mean, this guy. But they're like pretty big stars in, in them and stuff. I don't know. Kind of weird. Yeah. All right. My number 10. And I promise, I promise my whole top 10 is not like this. But it's... Uh, <laughs> You ain't seen nothing yet. One of um, one of Elaine Renaz, Rez, Renoir's, or as I called him, Reznaz. Reznaz. Yeah, Hiroshima yeah. <laughs> Montemore episode. Yeah, Reznaz. Um, it's not his final film, but it feels like it should have been his final film. It, it's a about a group of actors, collaborators that worked with this playwright, who are they get a mysterious invitation to meet together and they perform sort of this this piece that the playwright has left and asked has asked them to perform as part of his will it is uh i don't know like heartbreakingly sad and like most of his movies it is absolutely beautiful um it is like it's just like super fucking french so it's it's hard to like recommend it especially if you were not into Hiroshima Montemore I don't I don't think his style has, it did not get like more accessible after that. (laughs) Um, Wait, what, what's the name of the movie? You ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's a really weird name for a a very serious movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, My number 10 of the decade, super dark times, Uh, which was a six out of five for me. And uh, I think that it, it, I feel like it will hold up on a rewatch. I uh, really just fucking love this thing. I just was like the performances a lot, like the feel of it, like the cinematography of it. The story is good. Love it. Good movie. I saw this on, uh, I can't remember who, who published it, but it was some website's list of movies you probably missed this decade. Uh, featured highly on that. Mm. Boom. Because... I mean, I, I saw it because of you, and I've, I feel like I've never, outside of this podcast, I've never heard anyone talk about it. So, yeah, I, I watched. I saw that the trailer was on. You know, I keep up with trailers through Apple mainly. Mm-hmm. Well, there's another site I go to too, but Apple's like the big one because it's on Apple TV and everything. And it was on there, and I was like, "This shit looks great," and uh, you know, made a point to rent it when it came on iTunes, and yeah, it's pleasantly. Uh, not surprised because I thought it was going to be good, but a lot of times you'll see these trailers and they're makes the movie look quite good. And then right. you watch the movie and it's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. Anyway, number nine. Or, oh, number nine. Sorry. <laughs> number nine, uh, drug war. Johnny toes, really intense, um, police, you know, action drama, 2012. Um, I'm a huge Johnny toe fan. He's, you know, Hong Kong action director. And this, uh, Something one of the most intense films that he has made. Cool. Check that one out too. Mm. Number nine for me is Inside Lewin Davis, which is uh, my favorite Coen Brothers film. Uh, and just a real uh, masterpiece of a movie. Very simple. Great themes. Great acting. Awesome. Awesome movie. I don't know what else to say about it. Oscar Isaac. Is, it's his... It should have been his star-making turn, but I don't know that. 
I'm not even sure that that's happened for him yet, to be honest. I think he's still kind of a, not really a household name yet, but uh, he certainly I'm, should be. Do you think um, getting hooked up with Star Wars had like the opposite effect? Yeah, it feels weird. For him? I forget that he's in them. Every time there's a new mm-hmm. one that comes out, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot Oscar Isaac plays uh, like Poe Dameron in these movies. Well, he's, yeah. he's not a terribly interesting part of those movies. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, it feels like becoming a Star Wars star for all of these like these three main ones has kind of just been like, oh, you're a Star Wars person now. Well, you think not though, a movie star. if you if you if you look at it in terms of uh, it being analogous to the original trilogy, then he would be the breakout star because Ford uh, was the only one to really make a career after those Star Wars films, and he's essentially playing the Han Solo role, right? right? I, yeah, I guess. I Except mean, that Oscar he's... Isaac was. Wouldn't you say is more established? No, he is more stuff. Well, I mean, I don't know. Harrison Ford was in American Graffiti before Star Wars, so okay. he'd been in some stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it's not obviously it's not perfectly analogous, but um, yeah, Oscar, and, we, and we won't know, of course, for several years. No, I think <laughs> you, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll say it now. Daisy Ridley and John Boyega are done. It's over. I, you know, I don't know. I, I like Daisy Ridley. I don't need her to go away. I like um, her too, but I just, mm. I don't know. It feels like she's been in nothing since the movies started. Also, it does feel that way. And it's weird. It's just like I mean, I don't know if that's like a contract thing or something. Maybe Disney doesn't want her to be in other stuff. Yeah, I mean, John so, Boyega, like he had like like he was in he was Attack in, the Block. He was in the Circle. Yeah. After, uh, but that movie like was horrible. Apparently, so yeah, that was not. That and was uh, not he was in that yeah. new Pacific Rim movie, but oh, that's I don't right. Know that yeah. that, I don't know that that did anything for him. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it did not. <laughs> oh no. Um yeah, it's you're probably right. I just hope you're not. I mean, yeah, I mean I, I yeah. wish I wish them the best, you know, but uh I hope Donald Gleason's done acting, but the rest of them can go ahead. <laughs> my number oh wait, are we, are we on my number nine or no, I just did number nine. You did number eight now, right? Yeah, all right. The Turin Horse, which definitely the least enjoyable movie. <laughs> On my list, and Turn Horse is number <laughs> twenty-four on my list. So, but it's all Turn Horse. Yeah, I you know, it is uh, it is a fucking slog that tries to break you, and it probably will break you. So there you go. Was that the movie your professor was like? I don't know that that's a movie you like. Yeah, I asked him if he liked it. He okay, said, right. really, you're, yeah. you're only supposed to like it. That's <laughs> like oh, okay. <laughs> and then I watched it and I understood immediately what he was saying. Even right. like the first like five minutes of it, I was like, oh, I get it. You don't like this movie. It's like a nightmare. But but uh, my number eight is Hereditary. Uh, again, another movie I'm just terrified to rewatch because I hate a Midsummer so much, and I'm afraid. It won't hold up, but I feel like I remember it pretty well, and uh, it was very affecting, and just, just the effect that it had on me in that first-time watch is so great that I feel like it warrants its spot, because it really disturbed me, and I I feel like I'm pretty hard to disturb. I'm pretty desensitized at this point. I've seen a lot of weird shit, but uh, Hereditary was uh, on another level for me. All right. Uh, seven is thirteen assassins. Takashi Maike's uh, super bloody samurai movie. It's, I own uh, this movie and I haven't watched it yet. I have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, it's it fun. For like $2. It's intense. The action's awesome. Um, 
You're not going to like the blood, obviously. Oh, is it CG? It's a mix, but uh, Takashi Maike has not been afraid to use CG blood to do what he wants. Uh, he's also done great real blood stuff, but you know, not a ton since the 90s. That's too bad. Not that I've seen all his movies. He directs eight, eight movies a year. <coughs> yeah, he's uh, very prolific. My number seven is Call Me By Your Name. Uh, again, just a movie that had a lot of... Uh, really affected me in a, in a more positive way. Really enjoyed it and felt really good after watching it. And uh, just love it. Just love the performances. Love Chalamet. Love Hammer. Love Stuhlbarg in this one. Guy's the king. Uh, it's just a really pleasant experience to watch this movie. Call me by your name. Excellent. I'm tentative uh, about the uh, talk about a sequel. That the uh, oh right the right, author right. of the book is writing a sequel mm. screenplay for Luca yeah, Guadagnino to direct, but I don't know. It's a little scary. Yeah, it, I I think that that should that should be scary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, my number six is Before Midnight. Ooh. The third and the kind of what, what we call it the saga. The, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Whatever Trilogy. the uh, Julie Delpy, I think they're going to keep going. Whatever the Julie Delpy, Ethan Hawke thing with Richard Linklater is. Mm. Um, oh, you think they're going to keep going? I think so. I don't really? know. I don't know what you call it. This movie's eight years old, seven years old. They do them every, well, wasn't it every nine years? Was it? 2004 was the other one. Oh, yeah, nine years. Okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. So there's right. there's still they got still two years left where they gotta make another one. And you know, if they're not gonna tell us that it's coming. Right. There's no like I'm fine there's with no it. publicity for before midnight before they dropped the trailer for it. You know what the problem mm-hmm. is though, is their their titling scheme. Yeah, I have no idea what they'll call it. Difficult to come up with more uh, before things. Maybe they'll just change the whole before thing. Lunch. Make, maybe they'll make like a third tr- like a second trilogy. After, after midnight, after yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. Maybe right. All right, uh, my number six, uh, you know, feeling wild today. My number six is Uncut Gems. Uh, best Whoa. movie of the year, sixth best movie of the decade. <laughs> really loved Uncut Gems. Can't say enough good things about it. Hot damn. Is that our first director repeat? I believe like, so, yeah. You got two from the Safdies? I know, he's, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, they're in there. Oh, that's yeah. I I didn't mean to say that like it was a problem. No, even I know. though I like totally disagree. It but. is a problem, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though it is a problem, uh, yeah. No, so that's uh, yeah. I mean, I already talked about it. So now we're gonna start with our top fives, and uh, Kevin has five movies from the decade <laughs> right. that he's seen. Welcome back, Kevin. <laughs> Good to be back. So Kevin will start with his number five. Number five, Death of Stalin. Because mm. I think it's such a masterpiece of a political comedy and it gets all the tones right and it's it's just it's just hilarious like the the whole the whole like opening like half hour of like all of these people trying to get close to Stalin when he's when he's in a coma and they've 
realize that he's pissed himself and they're stepping in in Stalin's pee and they're <laughs> not sure what to do. <laughs> and the the whole like trying to figure out who's going to take power and um just the whole ridiculousness of the situation is <laughs> so entertaining. Killer. Yeah. Number 5 for me is Pulse Raiders First Reformed. Uh which just is a is a masterpiece. The the guys is you know, I, I you know I I like Paul Schrader a lot. I mean I think it's easy fair to say that it's his best film, but his best directed film. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean this he's really he really came into his own with this one. I don't know. He's done a lot of stuff that's. I feel like when he gets personal, it's more interesting, you know, mm. than when he is kind of writing stuff that may not be quite as personal. Like I just, I just got, um, for Christmas, I got, uh, autofocus on Blu-ray from twilight time. Mm. And, uh, I didn't realize it, but he didn't write it. He only directed it, which is weird. So like, wow. I, I'm looking forward to rewatching it with that in mind that he didn't write it. Cause he's such, you know, he's known as a writer. Uh, but yeah, first reformed is just absolutely terrific in my opinion. Number five of the decade. All right, my number five is a uh, Shank Ruth's Upstream Color. Whoa! Which... Whoa! Did you guys ever see this? No, I did. I heard. Yeah. I've heard about it. I, yeah. I've listened to reviews on other podcasts about it. Mm. You know, and, and I haven't seen it recently enough to kind of go through the plot. But it's, uh, you know, it's a very fractured narrative that is, you know, kind of like a weird love story, and it is. Um, I don't know. I'm very I'm very into his style of filmmaking. I usually I'm usually not into like broken or mixed uh chronolo- you know chronological kind of stuff. But, like uh, pulp fiction, you hate pulp fiction. No, no, no. <laughs> not like pulp fiction. Uh you know, and like yeah, I, I like Memento a lot, but you know, the kind of movies that 21 Grams Memento I used to love 21 Grams, not <laughs> not as huge a fan of it now. I haven't seen it um, since it came out, but I remember it being really difficult to parse. And then at some point it just all slams into place. And you're like, Oh, I get it. It's like, yeah, this happened then. And that, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, before that guy was making your favorite movies, he kind of had a uh, one, one trick and it was that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Amores Peros. Hey, but it worked, you know, Babs. it works out perfectly because when I was the age Babylon. that I was Babel, Babylon. when I was the age that I was, when he was making Amores Peros, and uh, Babel and and uh, Twenty One Grams, it may like those films worked for me really well at the time. Oh yeah, me and too. now that I'm older, those films don't work as well. But his new films work really, really well for me. You know, <laughs> yeah. so it's like he's maturing while I'm maturing. It's nice. perfect, <laughs> perfect. Um, my oh, are you done? Yeah. Okay, it's Kevin. Sorry, sorry, Kevin. I forgot you're in, in here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my number four, Moonlight. Um. You know, I've talked about it several times on the podcast. Like, I think it's a really well done movie, but I also think it's really important the message that it portrays. So, social justice warrior over here. Yeah, totally. That's totally. <laughs> that's totally me. <laughs> it's a really important message, and <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, my number four is uh, this is my Meeks cutoff for you, Jr. <laughs> Silence not high enough on your oh, list. Oh, wow. Uh, God damn. Yeah. Uh, this, I agree, Scorsese's best film uh, of the decade, probably 
of the last of the 20 years, you know, okay. uh, a really, really amazing film. And, uh, what's weird about this movie is that it's, you know, it's about faith. I guess it's two in a row about faith for me, but, um, when oh, I, w- when I was on a, your mind, I know, right. When I was a religious person, <laughs> I feel like if this movie had come out when I was a religious person, it would have been like number one on this list. No, mm. no doubt about it. Um, but it's amazing to me how much it affects me even not being religious at all. And still I'm completely enraptured by this fellow's journey. And, um, just the emotions are undeniable. It's just, and it's just so well-made and so incredible looking and just great moments. Really, really terrific. Love silence. Awesome. We're in the top three boys. Yes. We're not. Oh no, you're, you're, you're you're on number four. Sorry. (laughs) Forget about you, Kevin. Number three. (laughs) uh, My number four, uh, real quick is my only, um, double director it's boyhood from richard linklater um well, that's that's close yeah. too huh mm. still fucking love this movie all right yeah <laughs> you can go I, yeah i just like you know you I, I think the general consensus on boyhood is that it's a pretty good and really cool experiment and uh i think it i think it works better than that i mm. like it a lot i just I don't, it didn't make it didn't crack into my top 50 but i definitely like it before midnight is in my top fifty. Just so, just so you guys know. Go ahead. Nice. So my number, my number three is the witch, because it floored me when I when I watched it. It's, you know, how much more can we say about it? It's an amazing movie. Very affecting. Yes. Terrifying. Yeah. My number three of the decade is the Revenant. Just talking about Inuri two. Uh, the Revenant is uh, it's it's interesting to me because it's like a it's like the a companion film to Birdman in that they're both in my opinion both masterpieces and yet one is on this epic scale and one is on this much smaller scale. You know, Birdman is essentially set in one building and uh, over the course of you know a single shot and one night and. The Revenant is so much more uh, grandiose and multiple locations and thousands of miles and harrowing and everything. But, um, yeah, uh, really love The Revenant. And uh, I think DiCaprio is quite good in it. He's obviously uh, his Oscar, not not entirely deserved, but uh, I, f- I forget what, what he was up against. He probably should have lost to somebody else, but he should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. So, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, it's all it's all a matter of karma, I guess. It's like Scorsese winning for The Departed. I mean, come on, really? The Departed, really? Come on. Anyway, The Revenant, number three. You know, I guess you know when he made The Departed, I guess they assumed that oh, he's never going to make anything better, right? And then it turns out he made a bunch of shit. That's he's like entering that. it. Yeah, it was like it was like The Departed. It was like his his final. You know crazy crime you know extremely violent weird you know what i mean like and then he like started this whole new phase of his career almost mm. and yep. it's just uh just as good if not better all right my number three is a separation the um mm. iranian iranian domestic drama um it is so intense and 
you know, it, it's like a, it's built around like this kind of ridiculous or what we think is an unlikely situation that, um, Asgar Farhadi, Asgar, I, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say his name, uh, turns into something that feels just extremely real. And, uh, again, the way that like, his actors portray these people and pull off the conversation in this film is unlike any other. It is, it is perfect. I gotta go blow my nose. I'll be right back. All right, Kevin. Mm. Oh, I guess we can vamp. <laughs> it's like we almost make it through the longest episode ever. <laughs> and John's just got to go blow his nose. I don't know. I'm definitely a euphemism 50s. for doing drugs. <laughs> I don't know. I think our top 50 is probably still going to be uh, all of our top 50s is probably still going to be a longer, longer episode. You're probably right about that. Yeah. yeah. Back when we had four people. <laughs> Jonathan will come back one day. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw Jonathan. It's been a while. Yeah, I can't even remember. It's probably one of these. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking earlier, too, like... Like, you know, our last five episodes, our last five episodes cover like seven months. <laughs> well, yeah. Five months at least. Yeah. yeah, at least. Kevin, what is Beard Balm? Uh, it was this stuff that I was putting in my beard to, you know, kind of like moisturize or oh, okay. whatever. Like a conditioner almost? Or yeah, something? yeah. But it turned out that like it made, it made my, it made my neck itch oh. like uncontrollably. Like it was like horrible. That's so, brutal. Yeah, so I stopped using it. Sorry, just yeah. seeing things in people's bathrooms. Did you say your number two yet? No, uh, my number two, Only God Forgives. Oh. I love that movie so much. It's so, so damn good. It's pretty good. It's okay. <laughs> you know, Drive is one of the few movies I watched like to make sure that it belonged on my list. Mm. Turns out it didn't. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I didn't make my list either. Uh, I did not watch. I did not rewatch. Only God forgives. Uh, my number two of the decade. Rick Alverson's the comedy. I love the comedy. Throwback to episode one. No, episode one of Filmiac, where we review the comedy. It's uh, just a magnificent film about uh, apathy and general not giving a shit <laughs> and uh, nobody does it better than Tim Heidecker. And uh, I'm not even like a huge Tim and Eric guy. It just really works. Uh, and Rick Alverson has since this movie uh, made a few that I'm not super huge on uh, entertainment was okay. I really did not like the mountain. Mm. The, mountain was, the mountain did not work. Yeah. I was very disappointed with it. Uh, I wanted it to be amazing and it just isn't. Um, but yeah, the comedy is amazing to me. I think it works on every level and it's actually very funny, even though it's, you know, obviously commenting on that kind of thing. But anyways, uh, yeah, love it. Number two, check out episode one. 
All right, my number two is Visitors, a movie by Godfrey Reggio, who did uh, the Koyanis Quatsi, the Katsi kind of trilogy. You know, he, he makes, you know, I guess you could call them visual collages. Sure. Um, a lot of juxtaposition. <laughs> this is one he made um, in and around New Orleans. Uh, so it has a lot of familiar stuff in it, which, is, you know, I'm not going to lie. It definitely made it appeal more to me. And I saw it at like the New Orleans Film Fest back when it premiered in 2013, or I think. Um, and it is, uh, you know, beautiful movie. It's like, if you like Koyanis Katsi, you'd probably like Visitors. I think it's better than Koyanis Katsi, but, uh, you know, if you know that you hate that kind of thing, it's like, don't watch, I wouldn't watch this movie. Probably a waste of time for you. I tried to watch Koyanis and didn't like it, so I don't, and I've heard nothing but negative things about Visitors, except from you. Yeah, I mean, I you know, everybody is stupid. I think it's important <laughs> to remember that, but, uh, yeah. I've heard that, I just heard it's not like, uh, people think that he's, I guess, spinning his wheels a little bit, and, doing the same thing and uh that he, it's not as pretty includes, as the other ones and things like that I, mean, I would call the not as pretty thing ridiculous but he includes people and visitors in a way that is uh new to him a lot of uh faces things he does with faces is interesting cool it's really cool yeah um so this is it number one kevin of the decade can't ever change this. Has to be number one for life. Right. It's 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 on a podcast. It's in, the, it's in the books. Yeah. But what if I like Uncut Gems so much? Nope. You fucked up. Okay. You didn't see it in time. <laughs> My number one of the decade is Isle of Dogs. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Super controversial among you're this definitely crowd. alone this on that. Be, this is gonna be a weird number one. <laughs> it's gonna be a weird round, guys. Isle of Dogs, eh? So that's yeah, this is your I mean, favorite Wes Anderson movie of the decade. Yes. Yeah, because um, yeah, because I've I've been wondering about it. Like, is, like, is it gonna is it gonna be better than Fantastic Mr. Fox eventually? And I think it probably will be. Fantastic Mr. Fox will probably go on number t- go to number two on my Wes Anderson list. Um, it is but, so fascinating that you like his animated movies more than anything else not not like, that it's wrong yeah i mean i really like fantastic mr fox but yeah. i remember liking it it's been a long time since so yeah seen that. like that's that's the thing like because they're stop motion and because like there's so much that goes like the craft of them is already amazing and then i like the stories that he that he puts in and i've been listening to the soundtrack a lot and yeah i think it's fantastic no pun oh, wow. intended. <laughs> Isle of Dogs, that is. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> fantastic Mr. Fox is fantastic too, but you right. Know. Um, what is your favorite um, live action movie of his? Uh, Grand Budapest. Cool. Mine would be Rushmore, but I'd like to rewatch Royal Tenenbaums because mm. I watched Royal Ten. The first time I saw Royal Tenenbaums, I hated it, mm-hmm. and then like the second time. I liked it a lot more. And I was like, yeah, this is actually really good. Yeah. But that's been a long time, so I've seen it since then. So right. 
My number one, uh, again, Kevin, just not high enough, but only God forgives. Number one of the decade. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, a beautiful piece of cinema. Holy nice. Jesus. Uh, nice. A masterpiece. And I don't feel it's not ironic at all. It's just a fucking amazing film. It's perfect in every way. And uh, yeah, there's not a there's not an off. There's not a misstep in the whole fucking thing. Like. Mm. You, there, there's so much that could go wrong here, and and it just doesn't go wrong. It's just beautiful. It's just perfect. And Cliff Martinez, his best score I think mm. ever. Yeah, uh, so good. Yeah, it's just an amazing film. Mm. Number one of the decade. Jr., you owe us a rewatch. Okay. Yeah. Fine. God. <laughs> <laughs> number one and number two. Oh yeah. God. Okay. Um. We can we can trade. Will you watch my number one if I watch your number one? Depends on what your number one. No, I'll watch okay, it. I that's fair. No, I, I won't make you watch this one. Uh, my number one is The Illusionist, uh, starring oh, Edward Norton. I would watch that. Kidding. I've actually uh, been meaning to Get, see that. That came out in 2006. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Well, what the fuck, man? My number one is actually The Illusionist that came out in 2010, the uh, animated French film? animated movie. Oh, I'd watch that, too. Yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, it's the Sylvain or Sylvain. Chomet work, which you know is clearly inspired by um, now I'm blanking on his fucking name. The guy Toulouse Lautrec. Sorry, Toulouse Lautrec. I don't know what we're talking about. Who's inspired no, uh, by the guy who made like Playtime and uh, Oh Jacques Tati. Thank you. Yeah, like it, this uh, illusionist, this magician is clearly meant to look like Jacques Tati. Um, it is a movie that plays out much like a Jacques Tati movie would if one were animated. And, um, it is maybe like the most emotional experience I had in a movie theater this decade back in 2010, or maybe I might've seen it in 2011, depending on when it came out in 2010. Um, and it is, it is just perfect all the way through. I laughed, I cried, you know, wow. It goes, I I'm I'm I I don't feel like I've ever heard you talk about this movie before. Who who would I talk about it with? With us on our film podcast, it's about <laughs> movies. Yeah, like how yeah, like I mean, how but... like how Kevin and I have talked about Only God Forgives hundreds of times. Yes, <laughs> which makes sense that it's number one and number two, and then you you pull out this random fucking animated movie that we've never heard of. We don't we don't talk about a ton of animated movies on here, and that's true. You know, that's like true. French. I think, you know, Jacques Tati has come up before. I, you know, I'm pretty sure, was it Kevin, you watched Playtime in the past couple of years? No. I've no. been I've been, <laughs> I've been meaning to watch Playtime. I think I put it in my maybe queue. Someone, maybe, maybe someone just thought about watching Playtime in the past couple maybe, of years. It's yeah. probably me. I probably talked about, like, wanting to um, watch it, but I didn't actually watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is, you know, I don't, it's like I'm not trying to be obscure, but this movie is, like, one that doesn't come up a ton. So I don't talk about it a ton. It's funny. But I do. You guys both have animated movies as your number one of the decade. Yeah, that's mm. yeah, that's why. That yeah, that's I was insane. surprised at the animated. Surprised at the bad movie. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, well, I have a. I, I have a. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, like I, again, ever since rewatching uh, the Viking movie that it, oh, I've yeah. actually erased from my brain. What was it called? <laughs> uh, Severed ways. No, no. Uh, no, that's the one I watched because <laughs> of it. Uh, no oh, fucking oh, Re- uh, Reg's Viking movie. Reffin. No. Reffin. Um, yeah, Reffin. Reffin's Viking movie. The Horizon. Horizon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like ever since ever since watching that, I've been 
not interested in watching any of his stuff because I loved that movie so much. Rewatched it for this show and was like, oh, I don't love this. <laughs> and well, you know, know, Drive is. I still, I still think Drive is good. I like Drive. I just think it's not. It's not a. It's not a. It's not perfect. It's definitely. Yeah. Like a, it's like a four. And yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't into the TV show. Um, I mean, oh, right. the TV show is. You know, it's taxing. I. I liked parts of it. I. I, I like it overall, but I wouldn't watch it again. I don't think. It's just a I lot. So I, his his work with me is just it's so it's hit or miss now. And you know, since my opinion has changed on a couple of his movies. I definitely should watch Only God Forgives again. So I uh, I have a little problem, which is that uh, I didn't realize it, but you guys were right, or you were right. The Staircase is not from this decade. Oh. I don't know why I thought it was and why I put it. How, cause how it, old is it? It's from 2006. I don't know why Holy I put it on shit. this list. For the, some uh, reason, the sequel I thought, series is from this decade. Yeah, I haven't even seen that, actually. So, um, so anyways, I took it off my list, and uh, it bumped... Uh, everything up a notch in my top 20 and then it also includes now my number now so meek's cutoff is 19 now for me okay that's better and number 20 is they shall not grow old which is the peter oh. jackson world war one documentary which is amazing nice did you get a chance to see that in theaters i did not and it actually just replayed here in theaters a week or two ago and i missed it oh, wow. again mm. but um i i do love it it was only playing in 3d I remember, and I was like less enthused because I don't really want to watch it in three. Well, that's that's how that's how Peter Jackson wanted. Us I to know. Watch it. I don't really give a fuck. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. Yeah. I hate. Uh, I hate three D. Yeah, like I just can't really do it without getting a headache. Yeah, exactly. that's the thing. It's just like they haven't. They need to go. You know what they need to do is uh, glassless three D. No glasses. Yeah, yeah. Then I then I'd be into it you for know? for sure. But I don't know if they even have the technology to do to do that. Mm. <coughs> sorry so that's our uh top uh of the decade best of the decade list and um my list will be on my letterbox page as i'm sure jr's will be on his uh your letterbox is what uh my letterbox is john ryan you can there are a bunch of john ryan so you can search me up with jm ryan eight how do you know like what that like oh i see Oh, is that like your Twitter handle or something? No, I mean it's it, it's like the username, the unique username for Letterbox, but I can choose oh, what I get my it. name I get displays it. as. Okay, yeah, my name displays as Jay Livingston, but my uh, handle is EnemyXIX, <laughs> which is uh, just you know classic from when I was like twelve. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess before we. Uh, start to conclude is there any 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 honorable mentions or dishonorable mentions worst of the year from what i yeah. saw midsummer was definitely the worst midsummer is down there well, for no. me there's a couple of ones that are worse than that for me no i'm sorry fuck triple frontier guys. was the worst fuck you guys <laughs> what about you jr worst of the year um worst movie i saw this year um i don't know worst movie i saw this year that counts is maybe Rambo Last Blood. Mm. It's mm. like I saw like a, this shitty Christmas movie called A Mermaid for Christmas that like <laughs> on Christmas Day because my family was watching it. it. That that was by far the worst. But um, Rambo, Godzilla, It Chapter Two, Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh man, yeah. That was uh, forget these movies even exist. Mm. 
You didn't know you didn't watch Velvet Velvet Buzz? No. I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of uh Nocturnal Animals. I like Nocturnal Animals. I never saw a Nightcrawler. Um That's not the same guy. Hmm? That's not the same guy. Oh, well, the guy who did Gilroy. Velvet Buzzsaw did Nightcrawler. No. Nocturnal Animals is a Tom Ford. I mean, uh, whatever. Night, uh, what, the movie you just said is a Tom Ford movie, no? No. It's not. Velvet Buzzsaw? It's not a Tom Isn't Ford it? movie. No. Am I totally wrong? I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I'm going to get in a fight with you right now. No, it's Dan Gilroy. <laughs> no shit. What, what am I thinking about then? I have no idea. I could have sworn that was a Tom Ford movie. I don't know why. But uh, Velvet Buzzsaw is bad. And, uh, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal did a lot this year. Wow. Or in 2019. I don't know if you guys watched John Mulaney's uh, Sack Lunch Bunch. No. It's great. He's great I, in that. I hate John oh. Mulaney, so oh. it's not going to work for me. That's fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was not. Yeah. This was not his best. John Mulaney is so, like, he so desperately wants to host a late night show doesn't he i mean like he's <laughs> he's just like so old school like fake old school to a fault that's why jerry seinfeld loves him so much because he essentially is jerry seinfeld <laughs> but not as not as angry which is not as fun i don't know i can't stand mulaney he's the worst <laughs> never never seen a joke that he's that he's done where i was like yeah it's funny it's not it's not, it's not funny <laughs> did you like you didn't like the stefan stuff what's that like a, on the oh, Bill, Bill Hader's character. character, I don't know. I never saw well, any of that. I heard the, the that. whole I thing with Stefan was that Stefan was written by John Mulaney, performed by Bill Hader, and the reason that Bill Hader would always like crack up is because he had an earpiece where John Mulaney was feeding him the lines. Yeah, like so that he wouldn't have heard them before. Yeah, um, which I enjoyed. Hilarious. I, I enjoy Stefan. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have. I don't have. I'm not going to mount a defense for John Mulaney. It's all good. I don't, I don't feel, I don't John feel Mulaney. that, that passionate about it either one, one way or the other. I just, I've heard a lot of good things and I just, I don't, I don't see it. But, um, my worst of the year, uh, by a long shot is hustlers, which I just re watched, uh, for, the, for uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. It's, uh, absolutely terrible. It's, it reminds me a lot of, uh, um, it's like the, uh, who's the fucking guy, Adam McKay. It's like the Adam McKay school of filmmaking, you know, or, it's just like pure exposition nonstop for the entire fucking movie. And it's just by the numbers, paint by numbers movie, uh, terrible performances. I don't understand what people are like, like Jennifer Lopez got nominated for a golden globe for this. And I'll grant you, she's probably the least offensive of the bunch, but like, she's not good in it. I agree. And I, I've liked Constance Wu before and I thought she was, she's so, I thought she was the worst. I, she's so this. unlikable too. Like her character is horrible. Like I can't stand, she's so obnoxious and then just shit happens towards the end of it. That just makes no sense. Not, it's not like uh provoked at all. Like all of a sudden, you know, they have, they're like, well, they could just see them in the script or screenwriting room. You know, it's like, well, we got to get these two angry at each other, you know? <laughs> so let's, let's give Constance Wu and let's let, let her like feel sorry for one of the guys that they're fucking over. And then Jennifer Lopez out of nowhere, just like smack her around and call her a bitch. You know, <laughs> it's like, like what the fuck am I looking at here? This is Jeez. ridiculous. It's horrible. I, yeah. Oh, and it's I, also, I did not hate it. Like, I know. Well, I saw your rating. It was two and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, all the uh, the strippers work at a strip club. Kevin, you haven't seen this, right? Mm -hmm. They work at the only strip club in America where eighty percent of the dancers never have to take their clothes off for any reason. 
Okay. So I, I like I've never been to a strip club, but I imagine there's a lot of nudity inside of them. There's no nudity in this fucking movie. There's like three to- shots in the background, and the principals, of course, never take their clothes off right. because they're big stars, right? Right. So they would never take their clothes off. Now I'll grant you, Jennifer Lopez is in the best shape of her life, and she's 50 years old, and she looks amazing, and she does a dance at the beginning of the film that is quite enjoyable to look at, but she's not naked, which is just weird. She's just like, it's just like, it's a strip club. Isn't she supposed to be stripping? She doesn't take off any clothes at all. That's, that's the gimmick of this club that they, no, 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 no. no, no. it's just the, it's the gimmick of this movie that can't get its stars to take their clothes off. Well, I mean, it's so it's a, it's a Hollywood tradition of making PG 13 strip club movies and not having them Mm. take their clothes off. I am not R rated though. Is it? Yeah, I don't remember. It is. It doesn't feel R-rated. I guess they. Oh, curse. I agree. Oh wait, no, and you're right. There were, <laughs> there were definitely uh, there was nudity. Or somewhere going. What's the meaning of this shit? Yeah, it's there's the nudity from extras when like the the strippers are getting ready and right like, exactly in the dressing oh, room dressing room. Like that. Um, I mean, I'm, it's not it's not like a, that's not a big criticism. It's just goofy. I'm just like watching him. Like this makes like if you're gonna make a film and you're trying to make it like somewhat realistic i just like it really stands out that your actors aren't willing to show their like they're playing strippers but they're not willing to be naked Mm. at all it's just weird and honestly even if you shot around it that would be one thing if they got naked and you don't show anything that's fine but they don't even like like they dance with their clothes on it just makes no sense the only time constance Wu removed clothes right when she and jennifer lopez did like a private dance right for a high paying client but you're yeah, I, mm. I, uh, I don't I don't know where I'm at on this because like I agree it is goofy. Yeah, um, they probably should have shot around it. If I mean I don't have a problem. Like, obviously, naked. yeah. If you're, you know, I'm not like saying like oh god this movie blows because I wanted to see J Lo's tits. But I mean, it's just like it's just a matter of like you're playing the character. The character is not authentic because you're playing a character who takes their clothes off for a living. Mm. They're not taking their clothes off. It just makes no sense. Yep. And it's like I and obviously they they have no problem tantalizing and tantalizing their audience because again there's like this five minute sequence of her twerking at the beginning of the movie and I mean it's incredibly sexual and uh, titillating. You know, she's barely wearing any clothes, but she's still wearing clothes. It's awful. Don't 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 bother. Okay, I, unless you're just yeah. gonna watch that that one scene of her dancing. You know that that's pleasant but <laughs> i don't i don't i do not get the praise yeah i don't it's brute I, I mean i get the praise it's it's a uh i mean dare i say i think it's a political correctness thing partially it's a lot of people saying you know this is a movie by women it's directed by a woman it's starring women and it's about women whatever taking control of their lives you know in their circumstances but then even if you look at it from that circum that from that situation or that vantage point it's about these the women what they're doing is horrible like it's not a good thing what they're like drugging yeah. people and stealing their money like it's and then i guess you're supposed to feel bad for them because they're poor and put upon and you should feel uh like the guys deserved it because they're rich and there's that one scene where jennifer lopez is like these guys are assholes and they ruin this country and all this kind of, but i'm like i, I mean uh, that's not enough you know and, and it, they're and they not they're they, not exactly like actually vetting the men Right. Are you are you one of the uh, guys who worked on Wall Street? Yeah. We find out a couple of them were, but right. I mean, I, I yeah, and it's just like 
the things that they're what they're doing with the money too is just like there's a lot of these like indulgent scenes of them you know buying like fur coats and purses and shit and you know just mm. living it up and it's just like well there's a you know i'm all for you right right pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and doing something you know to better yourself even if it is criminal but like you're just you're just fucking around now right it's yeah. a it's it's not good um i hate you know i don't want to I don't want to judge a movie like by being the morality police because that's not why the movie's bad because they're like spending the money or whatever. Uh, but I also, you know, the idea that critics, and I hope that it's more just like people on Twitter and Filmbox and not actual critics doing this, but sometimes it is. The idea of critics liking or disliking a movie for political reasons is uh, not a great idea. No, don't, of course Don't not. love that world. Well, it's like I watched, you know, like a... a I watched light of my life and I was reading a review of it where obviously Casey Affleck is not the, you know, most liked person in the female community. And, uh, you know, because like, like with the whole thing with Brie Larson and and his, his whole, uh, he's accused of sexually harassing one of the producers on his, uh, one of his films anyway. Uh, and Brie Larson like hates his guts now because of it. Uh, but it's like, I was reading the one review that the reviewer's take was, the movie uh, is about a world without women. And that's like, they were insinuating that Casey Affleck wrote this movie because he hates women and he doesn't want the, he wants, he wants this world without women, but it's like, like it's, did you watch the film? Like the film is about how without women society decays and becomes like a horrible place. Like <laughs> makes no sense. Like it's just like, you could we completely missed the point because you're angry at Casey Affleck about something he did, you know, 15 years ago. It's just, I don't know. I agree. It's like inserting your politics into shit just really doesn't, I don't know. doesn't work, man. But, um, anyway, oh, also my other, uh, film that I did not like was Ad Astra, which I just re- which I just watched for the first time and, uh, was really disappointed with. Mm. Um, I mean, just really disappointed with brutal, Ouch. Like, hard to get through. This is another one where he stares at me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> did you like this? Yeah, I did like it. Oh. Um, you know, not enough to be in my top ten, but it's uh, it, it was like a. I thought it was like a lot of things that didn't really go together, but I liked the individual parts, like uh, <laughs> like the moon buggy sequence. I thought was really cool, even though sure, that's... I was like, well, this is from a different movie. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't uh, mind any of that. I mean, like honestly, I didn't mind his trip, especially as when Donald Sutherland was on the trip with him, I was like, you know, I like Donald Sutherland. So him being involved was good. And I like the idea of him going on this journey to find his father. The, when it just got really, after Sutherland bows out, it kind of like, for me, it just gets boring. And the part where I was like, really like I checked out, I was like, I'm done with this movie was the, uh, scene when the, uh, have you seen this Kevin? Not yet. I, okay. uh, I have, I have the Blu-ray on hold. I won't. I, I won't be yet. specific then. But there's a scene where somebody is attacked on a ship by something. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's brutal. I can't. I was like, I was, I was seriously. I almost stopped it right there. I was like, this cannot be happening in this movie. I just I, James Gray is such a subtle, great filmmaker. I just don't. I don't understand how he comes up with something like that. Uh, I you know I don't know. Part, I don't want to like call the movie compromise because I don't know that it is. It probably oh, it isn't. is. It is. 
You think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I read about. He has like, said so. He's, okay. He said so. And the I mean, it's well known that the production insisted on the narration. The production insisted that they change the ending. I don't hate the narration because of how they work it in. Um, okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's just like the whole thing, you know, it's like a, this is for James Gray, like a big budget genre movie um, that needed a studio to get it made. So I'm not surprised that he had to add certain things to make it, you know, what they would think of as marketable, even though I think the end product is something that is very much, you know, not marketable. This is not something that the masses are going to enjoy and it, and it shouldn't be because it's James Gray. Mm hmm. I mean, I, I completely agree. I don't understand why. I don't understand an executive's mindset of thinking, like, I don't know how they sold this thing to any studio. Like, it's James Gray. Watch any of his other films. This <laughs> Which have never made a sense. Right. He's not going to make anything that's commercially viable. It doesn't matter what you do to it. It doesn't matter what like you, narration you, you add to it or whatever. We Own the Night is, like, something that could have made money but didn't. Right. I mean, every like, and I feel like everything he's done up to this point is far more successful uh, from a storytelling point of view and from a directing point of view. And and it's like Lost City of Z seemed like it had a pretty decent sized budget, and We Own the Night had a pretty decent sized budget, I would say. And yeah, he makes a lot of period piece. Like The Immigrant, it seems like it had a huge budget. I don't know what the budget was, but I don't think it did. But no, I mean, I mean, just like the just the production values and stuff like that. The I think he's a really smart filmmaker with, you know, like yeah. his economics. I, you know, I, I would have to look those back up, but I, I love the immigrant. I love two lovers. I really like the lost city of Z. I think that Ad Astra is his worst movie since we own the night, which I don't love. Oh, I, we own the night's my favorite. Um, that's probably one I should rewatch. I but. love We on the Night. It's the closest he's come to masterpiece territory, in my opinion. I lo- I really like everything. Though. I mean, I like Little Odessa a lot. I like, uh, you know, all the ones you just mentioned are, are terrific. I mean, especially Two Lovers. Like, I was really surprised how much I like Two Lovers. So, yeah, that yeah. is a that is a surprising. Yeah, I was surprised when I watched that the first time because it looks so boring. I think it's he's not- got a, a film in his like in his pocket that's gonna blow everything out of the water and i think he just hasn't made it yet you know he's on his way he hasn't peaked yet and he's gonna keep taking forever to make movies because his movies are gonna keep losing money right and uh yeah he'll never just magically get that financing he wants of course not um all right well uh i guess that's gonna do it for this episode Mm. of the podcast so next week it's my pick Assuming next my, next week assuming my yeah next time on the show <laughs> yeah. next uh next year uh no next uh time we record we'll be talking about a film that i have yet to tell the guys about and that film is i don't know what the film should be <laughs> No, I mean, I've got like, you know, I'm always like down to like three or four different ones and I just, I don't need that one anymore. Some of these movies I've watched by myself. Um, It's between two for me and uh, I don't think that either of you guys have seen either one of them. So I don't know how to decide. Well, we have a coin here. Okay. If we need to do a coin toss. 
All right. Well, I'll tell you the two films, then we'll do a coin toss. Okay. okay? So the first film is Greaser's Palace, which is a uh, Robert Downey Sr. film uh, from the 70s. It's a Western. Uh, and I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember really liking it. And the second film is Autofocus, the uh, aforementioned Paul Schrader film, which I just got on Blu-ray. I'm very excited to rewatch. So, Heads, Greaser's Palace, Tails, Autofocus. What is it? Tails. I can't see it. Okay, so it's Autofocus, right? Is that what I said? <laughs> okay, Autofocus right. it is, right. is what we're going to be talking about next episode. Uh, starring uh, Willem Dafoe and Greg Kinnear, directed by the great Paul Schrader. So stay tuned. Visit our website at filmyak.podiant.co. Email us if you feel the need at uh, filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, until next time, you know, just keep watching movies and listening to our podcast. Rate, rate us and subscribe. Please on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great, great day. Bye-bye.